Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Wide Men Can Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network, located at blogtalkradio.com slash widemencantjump. We're brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New, wowfreecam.com, and facebook.com slash makeupkennedy. You can check us out anywhere and everywhere you find podcasts. Now, for the hosts of your flagship program, here's Tom Robinson and Nate Bush. Let me start off this program here, as we're starting a little late this evening, with one of a huge, huge fuck you to the technical support around here. Now, I've got that out of the way. Welcome to Wide Men Can't Jump. We have had technical issues all evening, and we had to delay the start of the show by 45 minutes. Thank God. I think we've got, I think we've got the issues resolved now, Tim. Are you with me? I feel like Luke Walton trying to get a play run in on the Lakers. <laughs> it's so true. My God, the struggles that we had to get this show on the road tonight. I, ugh, man, I hope we never have to do that again. That was a that was a pain of pain proportions. That was, like that hurt. That was not fun, and I'm not sure if I even remember what the hell we were doing. But we're here now, well, we're, so let's yeah, talk some hoops, we're baby. Here. Yeah, it's all about basketball. Uh, we're going to be joined tonight by John Kiefer from the Utah Jazz Fan Side Side. He's jumping on live with us. He'll be here in about 15 or so to talk the Utah Jazz. But the theme of this show is kind of uh, we're going to talk a little bit about teams that are struggling right now, teams that had high expectations and the struggle has set in. So it's been a long, a long season for some of these teams, but. Before we start there, let's go ahead and start at the top here. Uh, Tim, you're ra- the Raptors up north, the Toronto Raptors, they've been on a tear as of late. There's a big game going on this evening between the Warriors and the Raptors. It's going to be on national TV. It's ESPN game, so that'll be fun. Uh, fun, Maybe even a finals preview. The Raptors are 22-7. and seven. They are 11-4 or they are 11 and four at home, 11-3 on the road. And they're sitting atop the East. They've got a two-and-a-half game lead over the Bucks, who are right behind them. And everyone's pointing at Kawhi Leonard. So what, what's the Canadian sports news got to say about the Toronto Raptors? That they're soft. They think they're soft, really? That they're, that they're soft. Uh, unless you live in the city of Toronto proper, the consensus is that the Raptors are uh, obviously a, a good team. Uh, but that they're pretty soft. Um, their best player can't play back-to-back. He has to have, some, have a night off. Uh, Kyle Lowry was, uh, until last night anyway, I guess not, yeah, was it last night or the night before, had played like three or four miserable games in a row. Uh, the consensus is they have no killer instinct, and we'll get a repeat of last year where they'll, they may even finish first or second and will flame out in the playoffs. Really? Wow, that's uh unless of you know, course I... you live in Toronto, in which case well, the Toronto Raptors are the greatest combination of the Lakers, Celtics and Chicago Bulls all rolled into one. Um, <laughs> the ghosts of the past. Yeah. Uh like I said, I mean the Raptors have got a pretty good team. I mean, I don't think there's any denying that. 
but uh, let's let's see what the score is tonight in uh, Golden State. Let's let's see how that works out. Yeah, and Golden State's coming off a win the other night. They beat the Wolves one sixteen to one hundred eight um, in Oracle, and Oracle's a tough place to win. Period. So if you're Toronto, you kind of got to be a little well, bit uh, there little is, concerned. There is no other measuring stick. Yeah, okay. So they beat the Clippers relatively handily last night. So what? I mean, I mean, okay, better than losing to them, obviously, but but really, what does that mean? Not a whole lot. If they can't beat Golden State, it isn't going to matter. Well, beating the Clippers is one thing. The Clippers were a team that we've talked about. They were at one point the top of the Western Conference. They're fourth now at 17 and 10 with the Lakers nipping at their heels. The Lakers are actually better than anticipated if you ask me. Well, we're going to get we're going to the get there. We've got a lot of NBA to cover tonight. The Lakers but remember out west, guys, right now out west the, the top 14 teams are separated by six games. So you're looking at Houston who's 12 and 14, they're six games back of first. That's a western so really, pool of mediocrity. You can call it maybe mediocrity, or maybe it's a fact that they are the teams are more even out west. Like even the Spurs, who I don't think the Spurs should be as good as they are, they're five hundred. That's got to say something. And you know, I talked. Uh, I've talked to some people around the Lakers. Apparently, they have said that Luke Walton's coming to Jesus meeting with Magic Johnson. Um, kind of got him in gear, and it seems like they're responding better. So he probably stopped trying to coach uh, and just let LeBron <laughs> yeah. take over. I was going to say, was LeBron at said meeting, and did he get the memo if he wasn't at the meeting? Yeah, it's like, Luke, listen, you, you don't have to coach anymore, man. You can just sit down and enjoy. You know, you can basically yeah, – you're Steve like, Kerr. You don't have to coach. Luke, uh, we pay you I – don't, I don't know what he gets paid, but it's a – percentage a small percentage of what lebron gets paid um we pay you x amount of dollars um can you just like sing the platitudes to the press when you're asked the questions uh you know nod your head like a sage and uh, when we win take the credit and when we lose you know spit out the usual what they all say you know well you know we were uh, we need to work the ball around more blah 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 whatever it is and uh, just just don't worry about the uh, X and O's. We'll we'll take care of that for you. Yeah, and, and you know basketball is one of those games where it's good to have set plays, but at the same time, it's you know you're supposed to have fun with it. And sometimes the schoolyard, and what, what would you call it? the schoolyard bullshit that, that a lot of people call it from to steal from the longest well, yard. Um, has that not become sort of just the way the league is that the coach is kind of I don't want to say a figurehead, but close. You know, he's you just think there that? to. Well, you think how, that? Um, how many of the really good teams are actually quote unquote coached? You'd actually be surprised. Um, coaching makes a difference. Uh, I know. Well, I'm not saying it this. doesn't make a difference. I'm saying I don't think it makes the difference that it once did. Because players know that the expiration date on a coach is, well, pretty much whatever they want it to be, especially if they're a good team. Well, I look at teams like the Portland Trailblazers. I don't think Portland would be as good as they've been without Terry Stotts. 
I think Terry Stotts is a coach who makes that All team right, better. Right, right now, Portland's they're eight in the West, but to me, they're they're performing better. I think I don't uh, JB I think JB Bickerstaff in Memphis makes that team better. Um, but, there's a right, lot of. But what and, I'm saying is, does it really matter who's coaching the uh, Golden State Warriors? Well, no. I mean, God, no. I mean, you've got a team that's basically. I mean, unless the guy is a total dipstick and is trying to get them to do things that are just, you know. Let, let me tell you this, Tim. Let me tell you this. If you think coaching doesn't matter in the NBA, and I know you're not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying this for most people out there. These are like the casual fans who who listen in. And I'm not criticizing casual fans because casual fans are, you know, they're they're part of the part of the the show well, too. We want to cater to all fans. But if you think coaching doesn't matter, think back to the Lakers team that Mike Brown coached and tell me that coaching doesn't matter. Well, Holy okay, let me re- maybe I rephrase it. Coaching may make a bad team better. But does but does it make a team that is already good or great? They don't really need it. I mean, let's be honest, Nate. I could give you the clipboard and send you to Golden State tonight and say, well, sorry, the coach is gone. Nate Bush is going to be our coach tonight. Uh, we already, you know, we've already had a pregame or whatever. We talked about what we were going to do out there. Let's go out there and do it, boys. Nate's just basically going to be here to because we got to have a coach. Do you need a coach? Do you need a coach to win one game? No. Do you need a coach to win a championship? Yes. That's I what would I'll say. say. I, I should probably rephrase it even more. Maybe it's more the, what the coach does is not a lot of X and O's anymore. It might be more game management, when to yeah. call the uh, timeouts, these kinds of things where the players. Are yeah, deep, and, you know, and we saw I'll last year that. where guys. Where guys get lost and they don't realize, hey, we don't we don't have any more timeouts left. You, you Michigan goof. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll agree with that. You're looking at that a coach. Sort of thing. Maybe it's what coaches I need. At. Coaches need to have game management. Coaches also need to know what their players can and can't do. Like a coach. Yeah, because sometimes have, the players don't don't know. That is true, or don't want to admit that they cannot take threes. Yeah, like, Every single player in the NBA probably thinks they can put up 50 points a night if they if they get the the chance. I think a lot of players in the NBA, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them think, you know what, I can make this jump shot. I can make this. This guy in my face, he's nothing. I'm great. I'm in the NBA. Whereas a coach will remind him, don't you dare shoot that fucking shot or I'm sitting your ass down. <laughs> so, again, I, I just think at, it's... Again, but I will agree. I will agree with you. Coaching is not a lot as much play drawing and saying, okay, here's my super secret play or whatever, you know. Well, like Phil Jackson coaching. Yeah, Phil Jackson, you know, he runs the triangle. He sets up a triangle, triangle two. Um, Basketball is coached now. I mean, hell, even the lay guy knows what a a box and one and a, you know, a two, three zone. Well, the game has changed. How, How hard is it to coach? Uh, and and I don't like don't get me this is a generalization I'm not saying that yeah, anybody can coach in the NBA because that's not true but uh, okay well basically our our game plan is is to uh, get guys open outside the three point line because that yeah. is you know kind of what most teams try to do these days 
a lot uh, of teams are going more to that. However, however, I was watching the Golden State game against Minnesota the other night. Minnesota struggled mightily through the game shooting threes. Like they they shot an awful percentage. Let me let me let me find those those stats because see, I've, I watched think, the game. I've seen a few games like that too where they just the threes just aren't going in. And I sit at home and and I've had this discussion with you before and I don't understand why they don't go okay we're just not hitting threes. Let's stop shooting them and just take that easy two, and at least put something up on the board instead of throwing up that prayer. Yeah. And watching it clunk off the iron and then everybody so, trots back on, on D and I saw it the other night when the when the seventy uh, sixers played the Raptors and they threw up the seventy sixers threw they 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 were leading for oh, I don't know, maybe the first half. And it was pretty close going into the third quarter and then they start they couldn't hit threes and suddenly, you know, they had three or four possessions in a row where they got nothing and Toronto got eight points and suddenly Toronto was ahead by ten. And the game so over. Golden State Golden State went nineteen of forty three against the Wolves on um Monday night. They shot forty three three point shots. They went nineteen of forty three, which ends up being about forty four percent for three. Minnesota shot seven of twenty five and they ended up going about twenty eight percent from the field. Minnesota lost that game. They were outscored fifty seven to seven let me, let me make sure I do my math right there. 57 to 21 shooting threes. So you're looking at that, and they got 36 points. Golden State put up 30. Golden State put up 36 more points than Minnesota did in the three point range. But okay, and what was and what Minnesota was the final lost score by of the game? eight. 116. All right. Eight. So so then my logic tells me if Minnesota doesn't maybe doesn't attempt half of those shots they missed. And goes for the two points. They might have won the game. Well, you got to remember though, a lot of those shots came late when they were trying to uh, cut the lead down. So yeah, but maybe so. It's better but to cut the lead by two than, can, than miss for sure, especially oh, if you're not hot. I agree. I agree. But there, there was also some shots Minnesota took where they were wide open, and you got to take those. So again, oh, no, you're looking enough. at. I mean, you're, you're I mean, maybe it's at, not so much the three as it is who's attempting the three. Um. And where yeah. from? Yeah, I mean, three's you not all being equal. Shots. You can't take you can't take bad shots. If you're taking bad shots, you know the only time you should take a bad shot is when the shot clock's running down. That's my opinion. That's how I look at it. But, right. uh, but so, go ahead, make your point. I, I'm, I'm so to, to relate it to the Philadelphia Toronto game. Okay. All right, Joel Embiid has no business. Although he's not a horrific three point shooter. Not uh, terrible. Why wouldn't you? Why would he not just take the ball down low where he's almost money from? Because, because he can't. Tor- Toronto, because doesn't have, Toronto doesn't have anybody to stop him underneath the basket. I, I beg to differ. Jonas Valanciunas is a very good defender. Uh, when, he's, when he's in the game. When he's in the game, yeah. I think Jonas okay, is a better so, defender but, than, what but, people, than what people give him he's credit okay, for. No, he's not a horrible defender, but, but that's him. That, that should be Joel Embiid's bread and butter. Yeah, I mean, he should, should be, be underneath the basket it, it definitely and should, five to but, ten feet out. He should be money. He really should be. His first option should not be threes. True, but again, when he's underneath, he's a, and when he's underneath, he clogs the lane, and that is Kawhi likes to drive, Kyle Lowry likes to drive, and remember floor spacing. Floor spacing's huge. 
So it's 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 a strategy thing. But Tim, right now we're being joined, and we want to thank him for waiting and having the patience dealing with our Joel. technical issues and just getting back with me. And thank him so much. And we apologize for the delay on getting him on the show tonight. But John Kiefer from the Utah Jazz fan side of tonight. John, thank you so much for working with us and getting on the show. <laughs> yeah, no problem, guys. I didn't mind waiting. <laughs> Oh man, it was a it was a cluster to say the least. We were having technical issues, but it seems like we've got everything lined out as of now. So we're excited to jump on, talk a little <laughs> jazz with you, um, Tim. Why don't yeah, you go I'm ahead and go ahead and talk a little, uh, bring up what you wanted to bring up, John. We'll talk some Utah jazz here. I really wanted to start first with kind of just a generalization. I was looking at the uh, Utah record for the last little while. Um, been a fairly long dry spell in Utah. Are are they anywhere near to heading back to the glory years of the nineties? Uh yeah, I think they're getting close. And I mean it's it's hard too because when you say it's been a dry spell, I think they're one of four teams in the entire West to have made it to the second round of the playoffs in back to back seasons. So I mean it's not like they haven't had success over the last two years, but they're not knocking on the door of the NBA finals like they have in it's weird to think it's been like 20 years now. Um, But I I do think they're headed in the right direction. They're still a very young, young team. And and it's it's tough with Golden State out there for anybody to really compete in the West right now. But I think they're doing well. They're heading in the right direction. Okay. So how does this, where does Corver fit into this whole, uh, now that he's been reacquired, correct? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing for the Jazz, a lot of people had differing opinions on this, but over the offseason, the Jazz largely just decided they were going to bring back the game. They they didn't really go out and sign any free agents. They just re-signed or re-upped the contracts that they had coming up. And the problem with that is the Jazz really don't have a lot of shooting. They're really, really lacking in three-point shooting. And it became clear early on in the season that they desperately needed it because the offense just was not clicking. It was too clogged in. We have players like Donovan Mitchell who he's at his best when he's getting to the basket, but opposing teams could just clog the paint and who else is going to hurt you? I mean, outside of Joe Ingles, there just really wasn't much shooting. And as much as we all love Alec Burks here in Utah, uh, he'd had his struggles, especially with injuries and he was kind of working his way out of the rotation. And uh, I think for both parties, it was just a good opportunity to, bring in a proven veteran who can provide some leadership for the jazz and who also, I think he still has a lot left in the tank. I mean, he is one of the greatest shooters. I mean, prior to the modern NBA, um, I, I completely forgot in his first game, the very first play, they drew it up for him to come off a curl with Rudy Gobert. And he just shot a three pointer so fast. I mean, he gets the ball off so, so quick and just nothing but net. And that's something the jazz desperately needed. Yeah, Corver Corver is a definite sharpshooter, and coming out of Creighton, that's been his game. It's been what he's known for for so many years. But you talk about Burks going. Was it hard for them to for the Jazz to let him go, or do you think it was kind of like, yeah, this is something that needs to be done. There's no reason to keep him here anymore. He needs to be gone. Um, I think it was tough for the organization and for Alec Burks simply because he's such a good guy. I think everyone here loved him. 
Um, I, I don't know if you guys know David Locke, but he's the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and every year he does interviews with each individual player, and he talks to them about, hey, who's that difference maker in the locker room? Who's the positive influence in the locker room? And the majority of the team said Alec Burks. I mean, they, they love that guy. But I think it was mutual. I think both sides knew that it was time to part ways. For Alec Burke's sake, it was he, he was drafted here. He'd been here ever since a rookie. But he was just kind of getting pushed to the side. I mean, it, it was through no fault of his own. He just dealt with shoulder injuries, and then he dealt with an ankle injury. And he just kind of found himself outside of the rotation. He, I mean, last year everyone talked about how well he played in Houston, but he was getting DNPs in OKC the series before. Uh, he, he had been great for us from time for both sides. It was just kind of a mutual, we're not going to resign you next year when your contract's up. We might as well send you a place where you can really show your talents and get to a point where next year, if he plays really well, he can get himself even more money. So I think it's good for both sides. Yeah. And looking at the, uh, looking at the jazz now, uh, since the trade, I feel like uh, the shooting has improved, but the record doesn't really show that there has been a vast improvement as they set 13th in the West right now. Of course, you say 13th in the West, it sounds awful, but they're only uh, they're only like two and a half games back of the playoffs. So nowhere near out of it or anything like that, like that would sound. But I'm looking here, and other than Corver, who else has got to step up shooting the ball? Because Ingles – has been one of the better shooters. Uh, he's averaging 12 points a game this year. Rubio, as a, as a Wolves fan, I do want to tell you, Ricky Rubio will never learn how to shoot ever, 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 ever. It <laughs> will not happen. Don't put your eggs in that basket. It's not going to happen, okay? Just just letting you know. But, you know, I, I'm looking here. I see Grayson Allen, uh, who's only averaging four a game. Jay Crowder is a good defender. Um, he's averaging 12 a game as well. He can knock down perimeter shots, but it almost seems like shooting for the Jazz is just so inconsistent. Who's got to step up and, and really be that number two shooter behind Corver? Yeah, I think that's the biggest trouble with the Jazz right now is the league is getting to a point where everyone's taking smarter and smarter shots. Um, I mean, I kind of caught the last little snippet of what you guys were talking about before you came on, and um, I, I don't know which one of you said it, but it was just that outside of the end of the shot clock, you should never take a mid-range shot. <laughs> um, the Jazz are great with that. I mean, the NBA this year started tracking smart shots, where it's just looking at how many shots are you taking at the rim and from three. So basically, who's eliminating the mid-range shot? And the Jazz are one of the best teams in the entire league for that. But they just haven't been hitting those shots, and it's been really difficult. Um, I would say Joe Ingles is probably the person I look at as he really needs to step up and start making more shots because throughout the last three years, he shot about 44% from three, which is just an incredible number. Uh, this year, he's down to 38%. So he's a guy who is in a little bit of a slump. And I mean, the last two games in a row, he hasn't even made a three, which is just very unlike Joe Ingles. Uh, so I'd look for him to step up. And Donovan Mitchell, obviously, uh, he's the leader of this offense. Typically, our offense goes as he goes. If he has a good, strong game, our offense plays pretty well. If he struggles, we typically struggle. And right now, he's shooting about 30% from three. It's It's been kind of a rough start to the year for him. Um, last year, I think he shot 34%. So 
about a 4% drop-off, and that's something that I think as we continue forward in the season, I would expect his number to kind of regress back to about 34 35%. So those two in particular are the ones I'm looking at to, to raise their game. Yeah, and Mitchell was a steal in the draft. You guys grabbed him and ended up being what I think should have been rookie of the year, but that's another debate for another time. <laughs> but he has looked fantastic. Uh, but he And a lot of people now are starting to, to bring up that sophomore slump term for him. He's still got a great average, still playing well. I just think the Utah Jazz, yeah, I mean, if, this is – go ahead. Well, I just I, – because I've heard that too. It's like, oh, like what's, what's wrong with Mitchell? It's a sophomore slump. But if you look at his numbers from last year to this year, they're almost identical. Yeah. I mean, they, they really are almost identical. So I think it's not a sophomore slump. It's just we all expected him to take a leap forward, and that just hasn't happened. He's essentially the same player as last year. And that can either be – it might just be that he's not taking people by surprise anymore. I mean, last year, like you said, he was a steal. He was a 13th pick. No one expected it. Um, yeah. So a lot of people weren't really game planning to stop him. And this year, teams have had all off season to just digest film. And when they're coming into games, they know if we stop Donovan Mitchell, who else on the Jazz is going to beat us on offense? And yeah, we and just Rudy- talked about it. I mean, there isn't anybody <laughs> – yeah, because Rudy Gobert is uh, he's a great player, but you know, he's averaging a double double, uh fourteen point eight a game with twelve rebounds and two blocks. So he's just a rim protector, just a big guy. And the the Jazz seem to just grab guys perfectly. Like they get Mitchell I believe it was the you said the thirteenth pick, they grab Mitchell. They get Gobert twenty seventh overall in the draft, so you want to talk about a couple and of like, steals. There you go. <laughs> the one thing that's fun with that is both those players were acquired on draft night trades with the Denver Nuggets. So Denver should never trade with us <laughs> on draft night. <laughs> <laughs> For Denver. Uh, yeah. But, uh, again, you're looking at the Jazz, and I, I'm not – this may come off as bad, but I don't mean it in the way that it'll sound. I feel like the Jazz kind of came down to earth this year. Um. I thought personally. How dare you? I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That was something I wanted to bring up. If you're not a diehard Jazz fan, if you're not watching them every day, really all you look at is probably the record. And they're 13 and 15. And a lot of people projected them to be the second or third best team in the West. So people are looking at it and saying, man, what happened? Um, But if you look at strength of schedule, it's pretty obvious why they're struggling and why they're 13 and 15. So uh, there was actually a, an article on the J notes uh, today by Jared Woodcox, where he talked about this. So teamranking.com goes over strength of schedule and the jazz strength of schedule right now is the hardest in the entire league. Their strength of schedule is rated at a 2.4. The second hardest strength of schedule in the entire NBA is a 0.7. Wow. Seven. The Jazz schedule, like literally by the numbers, has been three times harder than anyone else in the entire NBA. They played 28 games, 18 have been on the road, and 22 of those games have been against teams that are 500 or better. So only six games have been teams below 500. And of those six teams, though, two are Houston, one is New Orleans, one is Miami, all teams that I think a lot of people are – 
I mean, Houston having their issues, New Orleans having their issue, but they're kind of fringe playoff teams, if not better. Miami, if healthy, is probably a playoff team in the East. The one game the Jazz have played all season against a team that is just clearly not a playoff team has been Brooklyn in Brooklyn. That's it. So when you think about that, I mean, 13 and 15, yeah, it's not where we want it to be. I mean, what else do you expect, though? I mean, they've just – they were given the worst schedule to start the year. And after the new year, though, they'll have, I believe, the easiest schedule in the entire NBA. So I expect the Jazz kind of do what they did last year, where they can just hover around 500, get through the new year, and then I expect them to just take off. Yeah, and that's something that we don't really look into too much is the the way the schedules work out because, let's be honest here, flying out of Salt Lake City, not exactly a hub in terms of where you need to go. It's almost like a Portland or a Minneapolis. It's a trip everywhere. It doesn't matter where you're going. It's a trip. Yeah. So going on the road. Go ahead. It's tough. They They had a stretch, I believe, in November through early December where they played 13 consecutive games with travel, where every single game was in a new arena because they had like a four-game road trip. They came home for one game, back on a five-game road trip, home for one game, back on a four-game road trip. I mean, I I, I never want to just blame it on the schedule. I don't think anybody should do that. I think that there are concerning things about the Jazz and the way they played, but I do think if you look at the schedule, there's pretty obvious things you can point to that say, oh, okay, okay, things will be better. Just give it a couple weeks. Yeah, so we'll see what happens uh, come the new year for the Jazz. But uh, there's just so many moving parts here. The trade, I think, makes them better in the long run. Um, a still, you know, one guy I do want to bring up, and it's because I was really high on this guy, and he really kind of made me look silly. I thought he was going to be one of the next big things, and that's Dante Exum. Yeah, and he is. I was going to say he Dante is, Exum. He yeah. has disappointed me. Has Exum just kind of settled into his role now as kind of a backup, and we're not going to ever really see the Dante Exum that was teams wanted to see. I. Yeah, I don't even know what to say on that one. I, I felt like at the start of the year, I was one of the last people on the Dante Exum hype train. Like, I still thought he was going to be great. And this year, he's just he's finally healthy. He finally had a whole off season where he could just practice and refine his game. And he started out the season, and it looks like, oh, man, like Dante Exum is going to be great. And then over the last month or so, he just has not played very well. Um, and, and like you said, is he just going to be a backup? Right now, he's not even the primary backup. Over the last week or two, the Jazz have actually been splitting Howell Neto, um, and depending on the matchup game to game, they're either playing Neto or Exum. So they played Houston the other night, and they played Exum, but they played San Antonio on Sunday, and they played Neto those backup minutes. So, I mean, he's not even the primary backup point guard right now. Um, I mean, the tough thing is the Jazz did sign him over the offseason to a three-year contract. I believe it was $33 million. And a lot of people looked at that as a huge overpay for a guy who hadn't really lived up to that fifth pick in the draft status. But it tells you that the Jazz are looking at Exum as this is the long game. This year, no, he's probably not going to play up to that contract. Next year, they're hoping that he'll play at the level of that contract. By the third year, they're hoping that he'll progress enough that that looks like a steal 
of a contract at 11 million a year. So I think the Jazz, based on that contract, has shown that they trust him, but they also understand that this is a guy who really hadn't played much basketball leading up to being drafted. And then since being drafted, he's lost two years to injury. So I think they're still viewing him as a project and someone who's going to take a few years of development. I hope he gets there. Uh, every other game or so, he just shows flashes where you're like, okay, yeah, that's why he was the fifth pick in the draft. I mean, he just has an incredible burst and ability to get to the basket. But then there's other times where it's just like he's playing like a rookie and yet he's now in his fourth year in the NBA. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I hope he gets there, but we'll see. Well, one last thing I want to bring up, and that is Tim's favorite college basketball team is the Duke Blue Devils. Oh, good. And <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make it sure you're awake over there. Uh, Grayson oh, Allen. Grayson Allen, a guy who uh, personally I thought was taken a little too high in the draft. Um, I, I feel like I'm just taking a giant shit on the Utah organization right now, so I'm sorry. It's not meant to be that way. But when I saw they drafted, when I saw that they drafted Grayson Allen, and I'm sitting there looking at, you know, some of the players that were still on the board, and I'm like, I'm looking at, you know, guys like Robert Williams. I'm looking at all kinds of players, and I'm like, really, Grayson Allen is, is who they go with? Um What's Grayson's role moving forward this season? I know they're trying to get him acclimated to the NBA, um, but what does the Jazz think that he can become? Um, this season, I think it's just a typical rookie. He's probably not going to get much playing time. I think you'll see him primarily in blowouts or in situations where there's injury and he'll fill in. Um, he's already spent time with the Utah Jazz um, I almost said D League, but G League. I still have to adjust to that. Um, we've already seen him with the G League, and he actually played really well in the G League. But I think the Jazz do have high hopes for Grayson Allen. I, I heard he had terrific, terrific workouts. Donovan Mitchell was actually at one of those workouts and then went to the Jazz front front office and said, "Hey, if he's available, like I would endorse Grayson Allen." Um, so coming from your best, your star player, that's a pretty big endorsement. Um, David Locke, again, like I'll reference him a lot because I get a lot of information from him, but he is able to go to the Jazz practices, and he's mentioned a couple times on his podcast that there are times during practices where Grayson Allen just can't miss, that he just looks like an amazing, amazing prospect. Um, so I think for this year you're just going to see him play spot minutes, but down the road I think they view him as a very, very strong like six-man type player, someone who can come off the bench and just – score for them, but is also someone capable of being the lead ball handler. He can really play either guard position. We saw that at Duke, he transitioned from in his second year being the primary scorer going to his final year where he was really a facilitator and passed the ball really well. But ultimately, I think they view him as a hustle guy who can come off the bench for them for years, can make shots, can pass the ball, can set his teammates up. And really, at the end of the day, Grayson Allen is He's just one of those players that when he's on your team, you love him. If he's on the, if, if you're not a fan of the Jazz, you probably hate his guts. But he's on the Jazz whenever he's played. Like I've loved him to death. He just he plays so hard. I mean, he, he just he's scrappy. He plays smart basketball and he makes shots. Right. Tim, you got anything? You, you got anything you want to bring up here with? Um, well, it's kind of it's not really surprising. We, but 
not really that surprising that he picked him, considering uh, the head coach has uh, played for Duke, coached at Duke, probably had a bit of an inside track, probably, on what kind of a guy he really was. Because there's always, as we all know, there's the uh, the ESPN reporting of what a guy does and what he is, and then there's the real guy, and they're not usually the same sort of thing. So for all I know, I mean, Grayson Allen might be the nicest guy in the universe for all I know, and probably is for that matter. So he might have got a bit of a bad rap. He did a couple of silly things when he played for Duke, but he could play basketball. I, I'll, I, give him but, that. I'll give him that. Yeah, and if I can add to that, I think – one of the biggest things is all of the instances instances that he's had have been on the court and tied to just how much he has a desire to win. He hates to lose. I mean, he's never had issues off the court. He's a smart guy. He's very good off the court. It's only ever been on the court. And really, like, I can live with that. I can live with a guy who just is so – has just an innate desire to win that he's willing to lay it all out on the line. Sometimes does he cross the line? Yeah. Probably, but I'll I'll take that well, versus someone who no different than than guys who uh, I mean maybe not quite the same thing, but is it any worse than I mean LeBron gets away with it because he's LeBron, but if that's a nobody player um, throwing that basketball into Kalionic's groinal area there the other night, that probably gets a lot more press than when it's LeBron James. LeBron James never forgets who knocked Kevin Love out of the playoffs that year. He remembers. LeBron remembers. <laughs> I said, and if that's if that's a, a second stringer who does that to LeBron, it's news. Because LeBron did oh. it. It's a, Rasheed Wallace it did a, it. He would have been banned for get, uh, two months. Yeah, it gets the pass. And I'm not trying to pick on LeBron. I'm just trying to equate that to Grayson Allen. That, yeah, I mean, I would rather – People you know, that's a, a basket. But at least the trip is a basketball kind of a play to stop somebody. The, what LeBron did really wasn't, you know, it didn't affect the play or anything, and it was kind of a silly move, to be honest. But anyway. Well, we do want to thank John for jumping on with us here, talking a little bit about the Utah Jazz. You do Jazz. have to ask him about the coach, Oh, yeah, I did want to bring this up. So, uh, Coach Quinn Snyder, uh, we have a listener who – his name Rachel Miller. She loves Coach Quinn Snyder, um, and I don't mean for his coaching. Uh, <laughs> oh. Although don't that's know how common that is. Don't know how common that is out there, but she's a big fan. So Rachel, if you're listening, here's your Utah Jazz people. She wants me to get Coach Snyder on the show, and I'm like, well, that one might be a little harder than uh, than you think. Yeah, yeah but be, I'll do my best, especially during the year. <laughs> We could at least say that we have passed it closer to the throne now, that there is somebody <laughs> in the camp at least who is aware of this. Yeah, it's that's true. It's hard not to love Quinn Snyder. He's a fantastic coach. He really is, and he he's a good coach. And I do want to thank Jared Woodcox as well, who's one of the co-editors uh, over there with you guys. He's the one who uh, he and I were trying to get together to get him on the show, but unfortunately schedules didn't match up, so he got me in touch with you. So thank you, Jared, for getting uh, John in touch with us. And, uh, John, we really appreciate you coming on. Why don't you uh, let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I think the biggest thing would just be the J-Notes. Make sure you're – following the content i think it's one of those things that there's there's probably bigger sites out there but you won't see more consistent work i mean during the the dead of the summer we are pumping out articles 
over at the day. Oh, you sound like us. A lot of, a lot of good stuff. <laughs> I know, right? You sound like us. Um, and it's really you know. just, we, we love the jazz. We, we love what we write about, so we write about it often. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, though, it's at John underscore Kiefer. Um, but, yeah, any, anybody wants to give me a follow, I'm happy to follow back. Yeah, you sound like us because we did a podcast every week of the year, even during the off season. We talked hoops, so we know all about the. the yeah, and, and people don't know how hard it is to do a two hour. People don't know how hard it is to do a two hour show when the only big thing that happened this week was, uh, you know, one team reported for practice. It's not easy to do, but, but we did it's it. A, damn it! It's a tes- it's a testament to your love of basketball. So definitely, we appreciate definitely. it, guys. Thank you, John. We hope to have you back real soon. Well, we're going to have him back on once the uh, once the uh, Jazz have the soft schedule, and we'll see what the record is then, and then we'll 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 touch base again then. Definitely. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. Have have a great one. You too, John. Thank you. And we'll be right back right after this. Personal injury, automobile accidents, workplace accidents, mesothelioma, social security disability unfair insurance practices, family law, employment discrimination, all these things and more can be helped by New Law Office. Stephen P. New will fight for you and your rights. Mr. New, what is there to do if you're in an automobile accident? When car wrecks happen, insurance is always involved. Did you know that in West Virginia, we have the highest percentage of uninsured and underinsured motorists driving on our highways? That means that when you're in a car wreck, your attorney needs to know how to work with your insurance company to maximize the compensation that you'll receive. If you've been in a car wreck, call me, Stephen P. New. For your free consultation, call 1-888-692-8084 or visit newlawoffice.com. Stephen P. New will fight for you to get you where you need to be. He's a proud sponsor of our program, and Mr. New is a stand-up national and local attorney. Stephen P. New, Attorney at Law, answers to your legal questions. And thanks to the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com. And thanks to John for jumping on. John was a really awesome guest to have on. Really enjoyed talking with him. And Tim, are you still with me, sir? I am. You know, I just I had to take a minute because I could have swore during that commercial that it said nude law offices. And I got real excited. <laughs> well, if you pay extra, maybe maybe Mr. New will do that for you. But. <laughs> I had to mute myself because I got real excited, let me tell you. No, I understand. And I realized it was just new. Well, which was him. We, which we is good, but earlier. not as good as new. But anyway. We've talked about the Raptors. Let me go ahead, and I know they're – listen, I know you're probably sick of hearing about the Wolves, but they're my team, so I'm going to talk about them for a minute. Uh, nine and five since the Butler trade. We've lost two in a row. One to the Warriors, so give us a mulligan. And they did lose to the Trailblazers on the road the other night. Robert Covington did not play, but they were in the game late. The Wolves right now are not in the playoff. Uh, they're not in the playoffs if it ended today. It's early in the season. I have noticed Andrew Wiggins has been playing better than he was. Uh, I'm really happy about that. I'm happy Ta- Towns has turned into a new player. Uh, he is just out there just tearing people up. Robert Covington and Sarge, I love their defense. I love what they bring to the table. Don't always love their shot selection. But I give credit where credit's due. They're not afraid to shoot, and we've been missing that for a while. <laughs> That's because they come from a team that 
<laughs> two guys who never shot. <laughs> they had to throw up something every now and then. So give them, yeah, yeah. give them a break. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. So I, I will give I will give them a little bit of a uh, a pass on that. But I really and they've been talking to uh, Dave Benz from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, and I, I heard, I saw an article here. They talk about the Sixers practice court. Now, did you, I shared this article in the wide. I, I saw, I saw it. I didn't read it all, but I saw it and I thought, well, let me, let me, let me put it out here. The Philadelphia 76ers are looking to gain an edge when it comes to practicing. Um, on their practice courts in the corner, they have a 28 by 48 inch, uh, red rectangles in all the corners on the court. And they have a second arc that spans a few feet beyond the width of the paint and a few feet short of the top of the key. So the rectangles in the corners are to close out on shooters for, on defense. And offensively, they're a reminder that someone should be in both corners within three to five seconds of the shot clock to get the offense in motion. Then you can look at the... Um, the arc, the other arc that they have that's uh, just that's below the, the, the free throw line. That's the Ben Simmons panic line. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't wrong. <laughs> that was pretty good. I like that. But um, <laughs> according to the article, it says here, where do the highest volume of three-pointer misses occur? We came up with the measurement and we painted the line. And within that arc is where the highest volume of misses occur on three-point shots. So when the three-point shot is missed, that line is where most of the rebounds come to. After we came up with the measurement and painted the line, they said, it's a stupid number, pick it, 5 million three-point shots. That pointing to that space on the arc is where misses occur. Why are we trying, why are we trying to offensively get to this area and defensively trying to keep people out of this area? If they do so... Uh, the Sixers are able to get better rebounds and produce more offensive rebounds. Okay. So hold on now. Okay. You're trying to tell me that their plan is to put two guys as far away as they possibly can in the corners. Well, that's to set up the offense. They don't just stay right, there. But they still, okay, but we're going to put two guys way off in the corner, and then on defense we're going to put three guys way out by the arc. Well, the arc is actually runs through the paint. It's not the three-point line. It's it runs through the paint and just below the free throw line. And that's only when a shot goes up. That's where they get. Oh, there. They okay. try to get. There. All right. Oh yeah. God, my God! They're talking about rebounding. Yeah, rebounding. Well, this is hardly a new development in the sport. Well, you'd be surprised. Actually, a forgotten one, perhaps. But but hmm. I'll say this. According to the stats here, 28 games in, the Sixers are already in seeing improvements defensively. Their opponents are shooting 31% from the corner threes this season. So apparently that's helping them, the mark that they're getting put up. So that's an NBC Sports report from Philadelphia. So I thought that was sure. interesting. thought I would bring it up. But Not you sure when, them, when, well, go no, I just was no. going to say I'm, I'm never sure when they take something as simple as a concept of rebounding and then try to fill it up with, well, what I call analytics. And it's just like, no, I don't think it's ever a bad, too bad an idea to rebound. I think that's pretty much. <laughs> really not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This, is, this is not rocket science. Uh, 
I mean, like you said, maybe nobody is really doing it anymore, and good on them for at least recognizing that it is maybe a, a lost uh, tool, but uh, I don't think I need to chart every shot in the NBA to figure out that, uh, where rebounds go. But anyway. Well, that's one reason why I've really been enjoying Dario Saric. Um, he's a guy when a shot goes up, no matter where he's at on offense, he breaks to the basket. And that dude can rebound. That guy can offensive rebound. He's an offensive juggernaut when it comes to offensive rebounds. I've really enjoyed what he's been doing um, on the offensive glass. So, like what he does, love the way he cuts. And I'm hoping in Minnesota that, that Towns and Saric play more together because when Towns gets the ball and gets double teamed and Saric cuts, man, it's a thing of beauty and it's an easy two every time. Yeah, well, so, I'm hoping, and, and, uh, I'm Towns hoping is, Tom I was going to add that uh, – well, go ahead, sorry. I'm hoping he listens and uh, listens to me and does what I tell him to do, and that's play Sarge with Towns more often. But he won't. So anyway, you were saying I was gonna, I was gonna say that Towns is probably playing better because he doesn't have some guy, uh, old man, yelling at him to get off the yard. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, did I, I think we mentioned on a, a different show the other day? about Joel Embiid talking about how his numbers were down and talking about how uh, he they weren't giving him the ball. Uh, we we talked about that a little bit, did we not? Yeah, yeah. his points were – he's down, I believe it was like three or four points a game or something. He's down. Yeah, apparently, um, according to, to what was said, Embiid, um, he was just upset that he wasn't getting the ball as much. Um, and he just wants – Embiid wants to be the face of the franchise. He didn't seem, and, I think the bigger concern was that he didn't really seem to be all that – like most guys – well, maybe I shouldn't even say that. In my mind, most guys would go, all right, I was making uh, – I had a 30-point average a game, let's say. But we didn't win that much. Uh, my at points per game is now 26, but good lord, we're 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 good. I would just take that and be quite happy. And yet he seemed to be more offended that uh, that his his personal stats were not as good and that they really needed to be because, as you say, he is he wants to be the man. He does. And he thought I he was going to be. And, yeah, but if you want to be the man, then you, you got to go out there and be the man. You just talk yeah. about it. But the Sixers are winning, so uh, he shouldn't be that upset because they have won a lot of games. Um, they're actually third in the West right now. They did lose their last game. Um, yeah, let me I mean, find would you, out. Would you Which rather have a thirty-point average, a twenty-six-point average, and, a, and an NBA championship, or a thirty-point average? That's very true. Very true indeed. So they did lose tonight. Uh, unfortunate for them, they fell to the Brooklyn Nets by three at home. So, Ooh. yeah. Well, a bit of a surprise, a I would loss. say. Yeah, that's a tough loss, I think. Um, I forgot to mention way. when we had, uh, when John was on, that the, the Jazz had a, they were on like, it was like 15 to 4. They, I mean, they're beating Miami right now 40 to 15. Yeah, yeah, I see that. After the first quarter. Yeah. That's a rough one, and uh, just as a, a heads up, if you took any of my picks tonight, I do apologize. Uh, <laughs> I may go. It's looking like Tim. I may end up going zero and eight uh, tonight. Well, so you know, that would not. On a on a just a quick note about the picks. Uh, 
yeah. I've begun to troll some of the hockey sites. Oh, have you now? Well, because there's a, there's quite a few guys with podcasts who make picks and take a regular beating, and I've been starting to place my, I've been tweet, tweeting them my picks and going, you know, hey, if you'd have picked these, you'd have been, you'd have been in the money. Yes, true. So. Rough night for Nate tonight, but who knows? E- uh, anyway. It happens. You, you, you can't get him right all the time. Butler did respond to this issue with Embiid, um, saying, I understand his frustrations, and he's a hell of a player, and he wants to make it work. And according to what's been posted today, most sites are saying that it was blown out of proportion. Well, of course This whole was. situation. So... Again, though, because really what that happened little drama, was J- that little bit of drama. Really what happened was Jimmy set Joel down and said, look, you MF-er. Uh, <laughs> probably did. You, you'll get your act together, or Jimmy Butler going to go, well, Jimmy Butler on you, and if you want me to do it in the press, I will. You saw that mess He'll I just it. left behind in Minnesota. Don't think I won't. And uh, you want me to bury you, you young rookie, blankety-blankety-blank? I'll do it. So get your act together and do what Jimmy be telling you to do. Yeah, apparently. But he did. uh, Apparently it's blown out of proportion, but the loss tonight's not going to help much either. So that's that. I do want to bring up a little bit of news here. Um, The Cleveland Cavaliers have lost Tristan Thompson for two to four weeks with a sprained foot, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. And, again, the Houston Rockets have been trying to acquire about J.R. Smith, which I don't know why, but okay. Uh, I don't know. I just don't. I don't understand How about, him. Uh, well, finish your news, and then I want to throw – I got two to throw out there quick before go we ahead, move go on. Ahead. No, go um, ahead. What did, you, what did you think about Steph Curry and his man didn't land on the moon, and now today, ha, <laughs> it was just a joke. I was just joking. Well, he – he did get a free trip to uh, one of the moon modules. NASA, eh? Yeah, NASA gave him a free trip. But, but was, was it a joke, or did, did Stephen Curry almost go flat earth on us there for a minute? I don't – I wonder. <laughs> I mean, maybe Where's he was Stephen joking. Curry, where, where did Steph Curry go to college? Davidson. Okay, so that's not a – not like if he went to, like, UCLA or something. No, no he UCLA, stayed, but you know what I'm saying. He stayed all huh. four years, so he, maybe okay, he so was he kind of trolling. Uh, he, well, he, maybe he was because if he went to college for four years, he, if he believes that, then oh boy. Um, he believes that. Man. I've got a. Uh, I, if he believes that. I got some we need front, to sell you. Yeah, I got some beachfront <laughs> property I'd like to sell him right outside my house, and I live in West Virginia, yeah. so you think about that. But uh, yeah, because that's a little up, frightening. You brought up some news to me earlier that I was unaware of, so why don't you go ahead and uh, and bring that up, and we'll talk about it about the in oh, Phoenix. The, the, the Suns we're talking about. Yeah, that one. Oh, well, that they're they're. Uh, I, I, I didn't ever find the article again, but uh, it was on ESPN that their owner is. Um, well, I don't know that demanding is quite the right word, but I guess given the city an ultimatum that they will help him restructure, I believe it was $650 million. Uh, I might be heavy on that number, but it was in the hundreds of millions anyway to renovate the uh, – he wasn't looking for a new arena, but renovations on the old one. And if he doesn't get it, 
Um, he will consider taking the Suns to Seattle, which I would think would be a very realistic threat at this moment, uh, yeah. or Vegas. Um, I don't know how realistic that is. I think somebody else might be your mark for that one already. But um, well, I'm looking I mean, at that this. really would change the atmosphere of the or the look of the landscape of the NBA if there was no team in Phoenix. Yeah, and I'm looking at this. It says here that the Suns owner threatens it comes after Councilwoman, was Councilwoman? No, excuse me. Um, yeah, Phoenix Mayor Thelda Williams and Councilwoman Laura Pastor and Deborah Starr asked to postpone a vote Wednesday that would contribute $150 million to a renovation of Talking Stick Resort Arena because the deal wouldn't pass wouldn't pass if held on Wednesday. The Suns president and well, CEO got, Jason, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, and apparently they got a new mayor coming in. Mm-hmm. Who yeah. Is, who is already on the record as saying not interested in spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a sports franchise. Well, says so their um, Suns president and CEO Jason Rowley issued a statement affirming the organization's desire to remain in Phoenix despite the vote being delayed until next month. Uh, they learned the request had been made to continue the agenda item on the arena renovation until the meeting next month. We look forward to publicly discussing the many ways in which Talking Stick Resort Arena benefits downtown Phoenix and our community at large. According to this here, the Suns would put up $80 million of the proposed $230 million to renovate the arena and would cover any cost over $230 million. The team would also build a new practice facility, that would free up the arena for events like concerts and circuses throughout the year. A survey that was held found that 66% of Phoenix voters opposed using public money on renovations to the arena. So public public vote says it's about 50, it's 65, 66% says they don't want to use public money. Again, that's just a, you know, a poll. So how much can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, that's one of those ones where if you if you actually live there and you're concerned about it, you kind of got to outweigh the uh, okay, what does the team bring in versus yeah. what this is going to cost? And because I was just looking up their owner because I was curious as to who owned the, the Phoenix Suns. He's not a particularly rich man, if uh, as far as NBA. I mean, his net worth is only four hundred million dollars, which I mean, yeah, okay, that's yeah not, that sounds ridiculous. I mean, that's a that lot of money, not, but yeah. That is not big money for like he's not somebody who could uh, uh, you know go screw it I'll just build a I'll build the building myself and the city can be out all the money he doesn't have that kind of coin so yeah he's not like the wolves owner who's actually worth like two point six billion dollars so. most of them are I mean I'm I'm yeah. kind of surprised at that that that's, that's kind of low yeah it's not really what you would expect. Um, because he owns the Phoenix Suns and he owns uh, uh, he's got his fingers in uh, European soccer he owns part of a, of a Rangers club in uh, Scotland and he owns a Spanish team so he's hmm. got some money he's got 50, 50, billion, 50 million pounds so he's got 150 million tied up over there um that well, is just, it's be... just interesting because, uh, I mean, to really, to be honest, $230 million when we're talking about sporting arenas is not very much money. 
No, it's really not considering you've got uh, Jerry World out there. It's worth a billion, so. Right, and he's he's willing to, according to this article, he's willing to take on 80% or, or 35%. So he'll pay $80 million. So you're really only looking at $150 million, which, as I said, I mean, I would imagine what the – Phoenix Suns bring to the city of Phoenix has got to be yeah, and and if they do spend that much money, uh, they'll probably get some kickbacks from the no, I shouldn't say kickbacks. That's kind of illegal, but they would get some money get back a tax from, break and well, they get tax breaks. And I think uh, whenever these other team these other things come to town, they'll be able to uh, get a little money off that. Well, he's, they're on some let's, kind of a, a lease where they can. Uh, I think they've got two years left, and then they can opt out. So they can't yeah. even stop him from going. He he can just walk. So yeah. that 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 might get interesting. Well, we've Seattle. got a call real quick here. Uh, and last week, I want I want to apologize again publicly. Last week, I I was trying to hit the screen call button and accidentally hit the hang up button. So Lou, my apologies oh, last thanks. week, sir. Complete accident. Lou. I did not mean to do that. But what's going on, okay. Lou? All right, all right. So. First up, um, well, Bryce Harper, well, Yankees are not going to get him. Of course, the price is just too high. So what do you think the next option should be? Uh, should we go after Should we get Machado? No. Lou, I will be no. publicly upfront with you about this. I have no idea no. what you're talking about. <laughs> no. I don't follow. I, uh, uh, I, I do, do not yeah, follow I don't think. Face. I don't think I don't they should baseball. get either of them myself. Either of them. Waste of money. Well, if you were following, if you were a follower of baseball, uh, what would be the next move? Honestly, I don't know because I, I don't literally know who's don't. A, I don't know who's available, but Bryce, what Bryce Harper wants is criminal. Yes. And he's a good player, but not a great one, in my opinion. Um. Machado is a good player also, but what he wants is also verging on criminal. And, I mean, I guess if anybody could pay it, it probably is the Yankees. But, boy, you want to talk about crippling your team for the next however long? Yeah. Uh, And I don't know. Do do either of those guys really guarantee any great amount of wins? No, they don't. I, I don't think so either. So then I got to ask myself, why would you want to give a guy four hundred million dollars if you're not going to win? Yeah, especially since he came from you know from the worst team of the uh, started with the worst team of the league last season. Like, oh my god! Yeah, I, I just one don't, of the worst in decades. Yeah, I just I don't see that the, that the economics of it works. I don't see that the product on the field is vastly improved by that number. And, man, you want to – I mean, I don't know either. I mean, you want to talk about shaking up a clubhouse. Oh, yeah, by the way, we just, we're going to pay this guy more money than the entire payroll. Um, yeah. I, I don't even think the Yankees are that crazy. But That's why baseball needs a salary cap, gentlemen. Well, they've got a luxury yes. tax, but it, but it doesn't really work very good. It's kind of like the soft cap in basketball. But, anyway. I I still don't I, I just don't like it. I, I think there needs to be a hard cap. I mean, you're oh, paying guys so much money 
and, 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 you know, this goes for all sports, basketball included. The NFL, they don't put up with that shit. <laughs> like, they're not, they're not like, oh, no. you know, we have cash. Well, no, no. They don't you have guaranteed money either, eh? That's the real big bitch. Like, you don't want to end up like the Blue Jays there who basically had to pay a guy $38 million here yesterday to go home because they couldn't trade him. Couldn't afford to keep him on the books, but his contract is guaranteed. So they they had to, they had to release him, pay him his thirty eight million dollars, and got nothing. And somehow, to me, that I don't know. Nothing. I mean, I'm all for the players making money, but somehow that that just doesn't make sense to me. So again, I'm just going to bring this up about baseball. This is all I really know. Um, <laughs> let's hear it for this guy's my hero. At the end of the day, Bobby Bonilla, man, that's my guy. Anybody know Bobby about the Bobby Bonilla paid. deal? Bonilla, still boy. getting paid. $1.19 million every year, and he's getting paid till 2035. <laughs> but that yes. Was, but that was that's slightly different because that's on the Mets. They didn't want to pay him. Uh, they didn't want to buy him out. So they came to that deal. That was a mutually agreed uh Deal, so I can live with that one, even though I think the Mets are insane. But I hear that. I can at, I can at least see business wise why they did it. It would have been different if he if Bobby Bonilla would have said, uh, "I'm hurting because basically Troy Tulowitzki is hurt and cannot play in all from all reports, but yeah. refuses to but refuses to buy those reports and says I'm reporting and I'm going to play shortstop, and the Blue Jays are going well you. You can barely walk. How the hell are you going to play shortstop? Well, if I ain't playing shortstop, I'm not playing anywhere. To which they said, well, then I guess you're not playing anywhere. And sent him home, but had to pay him. I, I don't understand that. Now, I mean, uh-huh. I'm, not a, I'm not a Major League Baseball lawyer, and I don't understand the intricacies of Major League Baseball contracts. But it seems to me that if you aren't on the team and don't play, unless you're hurt, and you're agreed to be hurt, and then there should be a way for them to not have to pay like for the next two years, even though the guy's not even on. He's going to go sign with another team. You watch. He's going to go get another 5 or $10 million out of somebody yet. It'll, it'll yeah. be ridiculous. Oh, I well, can tell uh, that. I don't mean to change the subject, but uh, our neighborhood sons guy, our good buddy and listener, friend of the show, Scott Roberts, um, I brought up to him. He's from Phoenix. I asked him about uh, the sons' potential move. I said, so what's your thoughts on the Suns moving? He says, I hope they don't, but I believe the threats are real. Today's age, you pay for your own stadiums and arenas, and it's going to be a tough sell. I think it's possible that a move could happen if they don't get the funding on the renovations. But Suns owner Robert Sarver is so hated here in Phoenix, and he's dragged the whole franchise down, and a lot of people are just basically saying, fuck him. He bought the he's team just another one that... He bought the team for $450 million, and now the franchise is valued at $1 billion. So, in other words, most people think he can afford to do it on his own. Where so would they move to? Seattle or Vegas is the talk. Uh-huh. Which Seattle, I'm sure, would oh. welcome them with open arms. But the only I mean, problem the only is... Thing I might, the only thing I might say about that is I don't know what does... Uh, would the NBA rather have the money from another owner to get a new franchise into Seattle as opposed to oh, him sure just moving there. I'm sure they would. I mean, I saw, I mean, you know, I mean, you saw what they, uh, 
The first thing they would I do mean, is try Seattle to get somebody new team, to come into Phoenix. I mean, it was $650 million to get a hockey team. A shutter to what, I mean, a basketball franchise has got to be worth pushing a billion then. Most of them are. I mean, to just to, for the rights to put the team in there. It was $650 million. That's what it cost them to get the franchise. I wish I had that kind of money. So, well, I mean, this, well, that's um, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, the uh, Hollywood guy. He's the driving force. Oh, well, he's got it. He's Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah, he's the driving force between the Seattle hockey team. But I'm just saying, so if you're looking at putting an NBA franchise back in Seattle, I'm going to guess the league is going to be going, well, that's going to cost you. You know, it's going to be upwards of $650 million anyway. Uh, yeah. Maybe and I don't know, too. Our... I mean, maybe there's something to be said for if you can't afford, like you were saying earlier about it's now the age of, you know, public money. People don't want to spend public money on uh, on arenas. If you own a franchise like that and you've got that kind of money to run one, maybe you need to have enough more or a partner to, to own the building. Or be able yeah, to afford I guess the building. So. If you can't, maybe you shouldn't really be. Maybe you're playing in a game that you're not really rich enough to be playing in. It's just hard for me to, to right. look at somebody and say, you know, you're <laughs> hard for me to look at a team that's the only team in the Western Conference that really doesn't stand a chance to get into the playoffs, and they're asking for more money. <laughs> I'm just like, why, does you, like, why does nobody ask for money when they're winning? Everybody's always like, hey, we suck. If we well, had a better stadium, we'd win. Yeah, because that doesn't really all, – all better stadiums do is put more money into ownership's pockets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and but, people don't mind that too much if it goes back into the franchise. But nine times out of ten, uh, I mean, a good example is uh, the Marlins, where he oh screwed God. this, where he screwed the city out of hundreds of millions of dollars, got a brand new fancy ballpark, and promptly dumped ninety <laughs> percent of the team, traded them away, and they're totally horrible, and they suck. But he made a fortune. Jeffrey Laurier, I believe, is his name, but. You know, I drove down. I was down there when that stadium had just gotten finished in Miami, and I saw it from a distance, and it's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. And then I'd look at um, the attendance, and it's sad. It's so sad. And and people don't realize Miami. People don't realize Miami in terms of sports. If you want people to come to your game, you better be good. Because Miami yeah. crowds are fickle. Lots to choose from down there. Oh, yeah. I mean, hell, look at it this way. You could either, A, go to a heat game. If the heat suck and you don't want to go to the heat game, well, we can just go lay on, on the beach or go to South Beach or go yeah, to the club. You've got the, you've so got much the to Dolphins. Do. You've got the there's, – there's football teams. There's college football teams. There's – Christ, there's two NHL teams. I mean, there's professional sports all over the place. I'm just talking Miami suck. in general. I'm just talking about the city. Okay, well, the Pan- the Florida Panthers are in Miami, so there's a hockey team there too. I mean, there's there's lots to oh, do. Oh yeah, I'm, and, they, oh, and hell, you can just like you said, you can just go outside okay. for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, they got soccer on the tops of buildings down there. For God's sake, I mean, there's always something to do. But um, you know, getting back to Phoenix and the and the potential um, new me. stadium, don't forget. Phoenix now is looking to trade Trevor Ariza to the Lakers. Um, apparently, there's some talk. There's talks that um, 
the Suns are trying to get rid of Ariza and his big contract, because he, he signed a rather lofty deal to go to Phoenix, and now it's looking like they want out of it. And the trade rumors are swirling that the Lakers could get him, and he would be a big help to Los Angeles, the kind of defense he plays. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe his contract is still a one-year deal. So it with that one-year deal, they still wouldn't tie up anything in the offseason. Apparently here it says the Lakers are engaged in talks to get Ariza, the teams have been working to reach an agreement with a third team that would take on Contavious Caldwell Pope uh, and the potential larger deal. So right now it doesn't look like there's really a lot going on. It says here that Caldwell Pope is on a one-year $12 million deal and Ariza signed a one-year $15 million deal in the summer. So, And this would allow... Uh, Devin Booker if they can make this deal happen I think they want um, either called they're trying to get some sort of point guard out of this so Devin Booker doesn't have to play uh, with the ball but right now Ariza is only averaging 9 points and 5 rebounds making 15 million dollars a year Uh I mean Uh right now Phoenix is probably looking the way they're playing they're looking at uh, a nice big piece of Zion Williamson coming up in the spring so more than likely. Yeah, so we're looking at that. But, Lou, sir, we thank you for calling in. We've got to get to a, uh, an interview. We've got a pre-recorded interview to play, and then we're probably – that'll take up most of the rest of the show. And uh, we heard we heard Tim got in on your show for a few minutes before some technical issues, but uh, appreciate you yeah. having him on. Tell him that he's free to try again next, he's free to try again next week, if he can. Well, I'm right here. You can tell me. All right, if you if you can make it Saturday night, you know, uh, please do. No problem. All I just right. I, I I couldn't. I don't know if it was the connection or what. I I could hear just eight hundred voices, and I couldn't really hear what anybody was saying. So I okay. I just kind of back, I, I, I I backed off because like, I didn't want to clog it up any more than it was already clogged up. So. <laughs> All right, I get, but six to eight Saturday night, uh, or in your case, uh, wait, you're the same time zone as me, right? No, no, I'm I'm two hours behind you. Four to six, your time, six to eight, mine. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Luke, All right. thanks, thanks for calling in, man. Always good to hear from you. Thanks. Take it easy. All right. Thanks for jumping on, Lou. But uh, right now, before we get into our next segment, I was able to, Tim, to sit down and talk to Michael Walton from NBC Sports in Chicago. And I know what everyone's saying. Oh, my God, more Chicago Bulls talk. Yeah, uh, more Chicago Bulls talk. And the only reason I bring it up is because this team, to me, is an interesting team this year. They're young, but they're playing awful. And then they fire their coach, and uh, and now they're having issues with their new coach. So I was able to talk to And Michael is the oldest and wisest of the Walton brothers. <laughs> Indeed he is. But Michael knows his stuff, works for NBC Sports in Chicago, uh, is inside with the team a lot, so... He had a lot to talk about. He and I talked for about 40 minutes. So uh, we'll hear from wowfreecam.com. Then we'll go into my interview with Michael. And then Tim and I will come back here at the end. And we're going to talk. When we come back, Tim, I do want to bring up uh, just for a couple minutes the new jerseys that were released today. I sent you pictures of them. Oh, right. We're going to talk about those. We'll talk about those. And then we'll wrap up here on Wide Men Can't Jump. And we'll be back right after this. I'm 
Too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave. WowFreeCam.com is the number one cam site on the internet, and they are our gracious sponsors, and we want to invite you to check them out over at WowFreeCam.com. Anything you could imagine and whatever you want is just one click away if you go to WowFreeCam.com. What's some of the things you could check out over on WowFreeCam.com? Motorboats? Play the motorboat? You motorboat son of a bitch, you old sailor, you. Or you could be into... Two chicks at the same time, man. Whatever it is that you're looking up for, WowFreeCam.com will leave you with one reaction and one reaction only. You won't want to miss out all the fun going on at WowFreeCam.com, so be sure to show them some love and go over. Hey, it's in the name. It's all free. Must be 18 or older to access the website, but make sure you get there as quick as you can to check out all the fun going on over at wowfreecam.com. Again, must be 18 or older to visit. is Bulls writer and digital media producer for NBC Chicago and editor of Bulls Confidential, Michael Walton. Michael, thank you for jumping on with us to talk a little Bulls. No problem, no problem. It's always a pleasure to join. I wish it was amongst uh, better circumstances, but it's always a pleasure. (laughs) Understand that. It has been a uh, difficult season so far, especially if you're a Bulls fan. It It has not been the easiest time to be a Bulls fan Right now, they set dead last in the Eastern Conference, and basically, they are the second worst team record-wise in the NBA at six and twenty-two. Um, what's going on in Chicago from a player standpoint? Because we're going to dive into the coaching talk here in a few minutes uh, with what's going on there. But from a player standpoint, what's going on? And just to make sure we're on the same page, from a player standpoint, you mean? Uh, from an outside perspective, just as far as literally the talent on the roster here? Yeah, yeah, that. I mean, I don't know what you know inside the uh, sources there, but, uh, you know, Lori Markinen's back now. Uh, he's been playing fairly decent the past few games. Uh, you know, against Boston, didn't really show up very well, but played a good game against Oklahoma City, good game against Sacramento. But this Bulls team, it just seems like it's a lot of uh, – a lot of flash with no dash, if I can say that. There's no defense, really, um, which we kind of saw coming. But at the same time, it was like, eh, maybe a couple guys will step up and play. But they just haven't done that so far. What do you think's missing from this Bulls team? Yeah, so obviously as far as what's missing, uh, the, the easiest answer would to be, uh, excuse me, would be to say a lot there. A lot is missing. But uh, right off the bat, you're missing – playmaking. Uh, the Bulls are one of the worst teams in the league when it comes to assists. So Laurie Markkinen obviously is going to be working his way back into shape, as will Chris Dunn and Bobby Portis. Uh, those three players will help the Bulls a lot. The defense actually has been a little bit uh, better than it has in past days. I know last year the Bulls were, I believe, 28th in defensive rating. Right now I want to say they're somewhere around 23 or 24 uh, just off the top of my head. Obviously, not a big victory, and the reason the defense improved a little bit has something to do with uh, right before Fred Hoiberg was let go, he did slow down the pace a little bit to allow the Bulls to keep up with teams that 
had better talent than them, which, again, you're talking about the Bulls are in an uphill battle every night. Um, but, again, just to give you a quick rundown back to, like you said, the roster, Laurie Markinen, Wendell Carter, Zach Levine, uh, Chris Dunn, and Bobby Portis I would throw in there as well, all young, talented players, part of the core. Jabari Parker was the free agent addition. Hasn't worked out very well yet, but, again, there's a lot of season left, and he's sort of having that awkward fit playing the small four position right now. Um, but outside of that, the Bulls just have some players who, again, are, are having admirable seasons. Ryan Archidiakono is playing well. Uh, so is Shaq Harrison, a guard with some defensive potential I like. But, again, these aren't guys that can really create their shot at the NBA level. And, again, for as good as they are at defense and, you know, the intangible skills, the Bulls just don't usually have the firepower night in and night out to keep up. But, again, I'm making no excuses for this team because they sort of compound and make things worse by turning over the ball a ton, um, as they did in that game against Sacramento where they actually played well and had a lead at halftime. And then I believe they finished the game with 27 turnovers, which led to 31 Sacramento points. So, again, they're undermanned, and on top of that, they're shooting themselves in the foot. So that's why every night it can be a little bit of a tough watch. But, again, they have talented pieces night in, night out give you something to look forward to. Yeah, they do have a lot of talent. And, and honestly, beginning of the year, I predicted them to be in the playoffs. Uh, I really thought they had the talent, but apparently the lack of defense has been uh, something that has hurt them. And then you mentioned Jabari Parker playing out of position. What do you think they need to do in terms of his game? Does he need to stay at that three and learn the position now that Markinen's back and they still have Portis, they still have Lopez, um, they have a lot going on in uh, the front court. Do they need to leave him at the three, or do they need to try and maybe rotate him back down to the four and maybe move Markinen up to the three? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, that is actually something over at Bulls Confidential I, I had wrote about as far as sort of what's the blueprint for a successful season um, from Jabari Parker with the Bulls this year. Ultimately, in an ideal world, I think it would be best to have him play the power forward position and be a very high-scoring six-man off the bench to sort of energize that bench unit offense. But, of course, the dilemma with the Bulls is that Bobby Porter sort of fills that exact role. So I do think, and again, this is sort of just to go off unrelated from, you know, how I would use him. I do think at the end of the day, the Bulls, and again, you know, only they know why they do the things they do as far as the free agent acquisitions. But I would think that they got Jabari just in case as far as, you know, Bobby Portis' this season. If it goes really well and a team gives him an offer that the Bulls feel is a little too rich for their blood, maybe Bobby Portis becomes an expensive, restricted free agent, and Bobby Portis, or excuse me, and Jabari Parker becomes, you know, a cost-efficient a cost efficient replacement at backup power forward. That would make a little sense. Uh, but it's currently constructed, you know, he is going to struggle to play that small four position just because his critics have sort of said all along he doesn't have the foot speed uh, to keep up with most wings defensively and then off-ball, you know, his off-ball defense is a different issue in itself. Um, I do think offensively it can work. He hasn't really shown, you know, that he can hit threes enough to do that. He is attempting them, but he's shooting 29%, which is awful. But, again, as long as he's trying those threes, you know, it makes the defense somewhat have to respect him. The biggest issue with Jabari right now is the turnovers. Uh, he's actually a pretty gifted passer. But, again, he's turning the ball over just as much as he racks up assists. Um, it's a trend for the entire season, but in the last five games, 
Jabari's averaging three turnovers a game and two assists per game. So right there, night in, night out, he's, you know, a, a walking negative in, in terms of turnovers. And again, he sort of compounds that by being bad at transition defense. So it doesn't take much to, you know, understand that racking up a lot of turnovers and not getting back on defense is very problematic. So, you know, part of the fit is Jabari's issue because he has to try to get better at the little things that he's struggling at. But I do think, again, and like you said, we'll talk about coaching later, but I do think, you know, the changes obviously with coaching doesn't really help Jabari, who's already struggling to fit in with this team. I do think if they sort of focus more on trying to get him mismatches or getting him touches in the low post, it could could be a little bit easier for him to transition. But right now it's a tough fit, and with him having a team option, he's going to have a very interesting free agency because I'm not really sure um, sort of what's the next step. So it's going to be interesting, and it's going to have a lot to do with how the Bulls restricted free agency with Bobby Portis works out, I, I would guess. Wendell Carter Jr. has been playing an average of about 25 and a half minutes a game. Uh, he's got uh, a 10.8 points per game average along with seven rebounds, a couple of assists. Um, not bad for a rookie if, if, in my perspective. He's actually shooting 80, 81% from the free throw line, so that is pretty effective. And he's almost shooting 50% from the floor. With Carter getting limited minutes in his rookie season, do you think the Bulls maybe need to put him in a little more, maybe get him up to about that 31, 32-minute per-game range, or is he progressing at the pace that they want right now for a 19-year-old? I think I would definitely go with what you said there at the end. You know, I think he's definitely progressing at at the rate they would want and maybe even above that as a 19-year-old center. Uh, I'm I'm glad we finally get to talk – about Wendell Carter because he's one of the, you know, few positive things that's been going on with the franchise this year. Um, Again, he sort of goes with the Bulls trend of really hitting on their draft picks. It's one of the few things they've been doing, I would say, pretty well consistently here. Um, Carter, I would actually agree with you that I I would love to see him play more. You know, closer to 30 minutes a game would be awesome. But the problem with Carter is that he's fouling a ton right now. Um, right now, in just those 25, just over 25 minutes a game, he's averaging, I believe, about three, three and a half fouls a game. So, you know, if you sort of obviously try to bump that up to 30 minutes, you're just putting him more at risk that he's going to get that number higher. In the last 10 games alone, um, he was right at 25 minutes, and he's averaging four fouls per game. So that's actually going to be one of the bigger you know, evolutions in Carter's game that we'll see next year and, you know, year in, year out. He'll get better as his IQ goes up. And he's already obviously a very intelligent basketball player, especially considering he's a 19-year-old rookie. Uh, But Carter, you know, he has to get better at, you know, defending without fouling, not using his hands, you know, knowing when to be physical. And, you know, a a decent amount of his fouls can be, you know, against certain opponents who are very physical, the refs aren't really giving him the benefit of the doubt because he's a rookie. So, like I said, next year alone, we're going to see that improve. But once he can sort of stay out of foul trouble, we'll see him on the floor a lot more. But as far as his overall game, I've been very, very impressed. The only thing I'd like to see more is obviously that that shooting stroke. Uh, He's been comfortably hitting mid-ranges, but he hasn't really stretched his game uh, out to three much in Chicago. That's not something to worry about right now because, as you mentioned, he's 19 years old, and he is shooting the free throw at about an 80% rate. So, again, 
it seems like as he gets older, you know, gets more comfortable with the NBA three-point line, that'll come along. But as far as the Bulls' offense, you know, that's the real problem with this team right now. I believe their offensive rating just crept above 100, but basically they're scoring at a rate that that does not match, you know, the the current state of basketball right now. But uh, once Carter can stretch it a little bit more, him and Carter are going to have a very, you know, interesting tandem up front. Are you sure they didn't bring Tibbs back to coach now with the rate they're scoring? No, I'm kidding. Um, you would definitely think that. Yeah, for real. Uh, Zach Levine gets the big contract extension in the off season. Um, looking at his game now and as it's developed, he's young, but he got a big contract. Do you think he deserves that big contract, or do you think he's got a little more to prove and that maybe the Bulls might have paid too much too soon? Uh, now, again, this this one's tough for me. I, I would say he deserves it if you're asking me, like, right off the bat, just because, again, the timing of it, when the Bulls acquired Zach Levine, just because, you know, just like we have the access to study the contracts online and think about free agency, front offices are doing the same thing. So when they acquired Zach Levine, it was pretty much signal, signaling, excuse me, to him that, you know, you're going to be a franchise cornerstone. And even though you're up for restricted free agency, don't worry, you'll be taken care of. Of course, in classic Bulls fashion, things got a little bit more interesting than they needed to with Levine seemingly, you know, being a little upset that the Bulls let Sacramento sort of make the offer before the Bulls sort of stepped in and matched it. Um, But to answer your question directly there, I would say he deserves it just because you sort of knew Levine had the potential to be a big-time scorer. It was just about if he was going to do the little things to become a well-rounded player. And while we haven't seen those little things yet, um, because of the makeup of this Bulls team, I think it's tough to say that he personally isn't doing the work. Obviously, if we're talking about off the court with everything that's happened, then it sort of gets into a different discussion because that affects that number a little bit. But if we're strictly talking about, you know, what we've seen on the court, defense, he has looked like he's trying harder off the ball, obviously, he still needs a better attention to detail. But the way I, I, you know, phrase it the simplest is I don't know what Zach Levine would look like on a team that was consistently winning 50 games, you know. I don't know what he would look like in that context. So I'm not going to blame all the bull struggles on him. And so for that, I would say he's worth the contract. Because if you remember that first month of the season when Levine was really starting off to a hot start, um, he was putting up big numbers on a great efficiency for a Bulls team that was probably at its weakest because, you know, this is before marketing was back and before the team was at full strength. So I think Levine's the real deal. But, again, it it's just a matter of if he's ever going to get to that level where he's an all-star and NBA guy, and that's when you're talking about playing defense and cutting down the turnovers and being more of a playmaker. But right now, you know, he's definitely at the level of a guy who I would say deserves to be, you know, called the star of a team. He does, you know, he produces in that manner. But, you know, in in the light of this team, it's tough to, you know, talk too kindly about him. But I want to wait until All-Star break to really break down what he's been doing because I think if you're just looking at his raw numbers, he's been producing big time. But, again, when you put it into the context of how bad the overall offense is, it makes it tough to say he's doing great. But I think he's been doing a good job. Yeah, and as a Minnesota fan, I really did like uh, Levine. I like his offensive game. Uh, he could improve defensively some, but, I mean, so could James Harden. So I'm not going <laughs> to complain too much about that. 
Um, yeah, and it's funny that, that was, you bring up Harden because that's Levine's, you know, best case is that his offensive potential and, you know, what he's doing out there is obviously so valuable that the fact that he's a negative on defense eventually becomes a moot point. And similar to Jabari, Levine, you know, he's getting 4.8 assists per game, which you would go, whoa, but, again, four, four turnovers per game. So he's yeah. another guy where if he sort of cut down the amount of reckless turnovers he has, he can take his game to the next level that that way alone. So, yeah, definitely. Um, and one thing with with Levine is it's it's fun to see his shot develop as his three point jumper is getting better from what it was. So, I, I got a soft spot in my heart for Levine. You know, being a Wolves fan, and uh, I like to see him succeed. Um, but now let's go ahead and get to the juicy part of this uh, equation here. Let's talk about first. Let's talk about Fred Hoiberg. Do you think Hoiberg was released a little soon? I'm I'm going to go ahead and tell my opinion. Our listeners have heard my opinion on this. I think they let Hoiberg go uh, basically to satisfy the owners for Chicago. I think that the general manager probably should have left before Hoiberg did, but Hoiberg was the easy target. Um, you know, he didn't have a lot to work with, uh, especially starting the season, and they struggled. So I don't know why you can be mad at a guy. But according to some articles I've read, he had lost control of the locker room and players were kind of allowed to do whatever they wanted. So maybe that was part of it. Kind of clear up what's true, what's false. Should Hoiberg have went? Um, or do you think he got released a little early? Yeah, so, I mean, just like most things when we're talking about, you know, the Chicago Bulls front office and how it relates to the team, it really all goes back to what you feel the team's intentions were or what you think the goal for the organization, you know, this current season was. And, again, all of that becomes tough to sort of figure out in the first place because the front office themselves never made a clear mandate of what this year was about besides the fact that, you know, uh, they said they wanted the players to get better, they wanted the team to improve the, the things you typically want of a young team. Uh, now, when we're getting to Hoiberg specifically, I was always a fan of his. Uh, I didn't think, you know, he got rosters that were ever specifically tailored to him. I do think, you know, the first season with Laurie Markin and, uh, was the closest we got to really seeing what his system would look like, and it did have elements that I liked. Ultimately, I don't think he was going to be the right coach for the, successful ver- the next successful version of the Chicago Bulls. So, I'm not torn apart by the fact that he got let go because I do think he ultimately wasn't going to be the right coach. What upset me was the timing, uh, just because, again, this was something that I had seen a few different places, but it just felt like the fact that he was let go at the time that he was meant that they had an idea that maybe he wasn't the right guy before the start of this season. And, again, that's another thing. I'm, I'm okay with that. But if that is the case, I would have preferred if you let him go you know, before the season even starts or even in preseason, just at some point to sort of let Jim Boylan hit the ground running, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, putting the stamp on it, saying this is his team. Because I think that's the source of all this friction. Uh, I do think, you know, obviously it is a story that's been worth reporting about and it's made national headlines as it should. But I do think, you know, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. At the end of the day, this is the second youngest team in the NBA and it was a coach, a very different coach from the coach they had before, trying to imprint his style. And, you know, he sort of was done a disservice as well because it's sort of unfair to sort of throw him into the wolves and expect him to adapt to 
speaking to the media and trying to, you know, instill his way upon the team. So it was just a bad mix. Um, Hoiberg, you know, just because, like I said, he got, you know, one game with Laurie Markkinen back and then you're let go. It seems odd to let a coach go right before his team is at full strength. Again, which makes it seem like maybe they didn't want him to coach the team at full strength. So the timing of it is weird. And with a team this young, I think it was pretty easy to try to forecast and predict that, hey, maybe they'll react weird to letting the coach go so early in the season because, again, they're all young. They don't know how this is. And, you know, kudos to Wendell Carter Jr., who's spoken very eloquently to the media every time and been a great, you know, person speaking out on this. And, you know, credit to Levine now for at least being vocal about, you know, sort of what's happened and the fact that he does, you know, he said he wants to be a leader on the Bulls. So now is the point where, you know, all this has sort of happened. Now we can see where the team goes from here. But sorry, as I do with the Bulls, it's easy to get sidetracked. But just as far as Fred Hoiberg, you know, the timing of it is what was wrong, wrong in my opinion. But ultimately I do think, you know, he, he wasn't going to be the coach for the team. But I think he'll find another job in the NBA if he wants it. Although I will say I think he'd be better suited to, to go back to college. But, yeah, it's, it's rough that he didn't get to see this whole roster because, you know, I'm a fan of Chris Dunn specifically, and I really think Hoiberg did wonders with him in his first year, and I was excited to sort of see what he would do with Chris Dunn in, the, in another full season of development. But, yeah, it was tough to see the way he was like, oh, there. So you mentioned the name, uh, Jim Jim Boylan. He has been criticized by some of the Bulls players, apparently. According to an article from Bleacher Report, uh, the Bulls players apparently went to the Players Association and they said that he was going to extreme practices and they told him that he's not Greg Popovich. And apparently he was having him run wind sprints and doing push-ups and stuff like that, which, I mean, you know, I'm not a professional <laughs> basketball player. But every time I've ever had to do practice, you know, we had to run. But anyway, um, I, you know, hey, you know, I'm not a coach, so what do I know? But uh, are those rumblings true? Has, has Boylan not been getting the kind of um, welcome to the team and appreciation of his coaching strategies from this team? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a mixed bag with all of that. So for the most part uh, – you know, again, that those were from, uh, I believe it was from Vincent Goodwill's report for Yahoo Sports, uh, where he sort of mentioned that there was, you know, that, that source that said that the players did go to the NBA Players Association, uh, saying that they felt it was a little extreme for Boylan's schedule, I believe, a practice on an off day between the back-to-back. Uh, but, again, I didn't make too much of that. Even Boylan himself, I believe, had a quote where he said, you know, call him this if they think something's not right, he wants them to call the player association. Obviously you can take that for what you will, but uh, the issue there again goes to back, goes back to what I said about a new coach trying to sort of put his imprint on the team. Uh, Boylan, obviously, as he likes to mention himself, comes from the Greg Popovich sort of coaching tree there with the Spurs. And so he wants to sort of make this team, you know, very serious about their preparation, you know, mentally, physically be ready every night. And so he's mentioned, you know, multiple times within his first couple of days as coach how poor the conditioning of the team was. And the reports that have been out there stated that, you know, both publicly and privately, the team, as you would expect out of, you know, players in today's league especially, 
didn't take too kindly to publicly being called out as far as their conditioning. Now, it's a two-way street because, of course, you know, the Bulls are one of the worst teams in the NBA, so, you know, they need to be able to take a little bit of criticism. But you can sort of understand where they're coming from, especially more so just with Boylan being a new coach and him knowing how young the team is. You would think you want to get off to a good start with these guys just to make sure you're not losing them in a season that already seems like it could be off to being a lost season. So, yeah, there were rumblings that, you know, the players weren't getting along with him. And the quote that I believe, um, I'm not sure if you saw specifically, that had been going around was an unnamed source said that, in essence, the players, you know, someone said that, you know, you're not Greg Popovich and, and we're not the Spurs, which, you know, whether or not that was actually said, um, there is some truth in it. The Bulls are not the Spurs. You know, this is a very, like I said multiple times, undermanned roster. So night in, night out, you're expecting them to compete. You're not really killing them, you know, over win or lose. You're killing them over the effort, over whether you're getting back on transition defense, whether you're boxing guys out and you're making the extra pass and taking smart shots. So I understand Boylan trying to instill that. But definitely, you know, two and a you know two and a half hour practices and you know doing wind sprints as you said. Just with today's NBA, you know, even fans know that you're not going to get a lot of players to probably respond to that in today's league. That's why you see less and less coaches who have uh, the reputation of a Tom Thibodeau. But again, I think Boylan's a good head coach. It's just you know with the media and just some of the quotes he's had. I don't think he's always sounded, you know, the way fans would want him to. But, again, I think purely coaching-wise, I think he can end up being a good fit. But it's just going to be about him getting used to this roster, this roster getting used to him in terms of personality and style. And once they sort of get that figured out, they'll be on good terms. Um, I'm sure you've read about the leadership committee uh, that's supposed to be forming where Boylan, I guess, and the team are sort of going to have de facto team leaders that will – act as, you know, a go-between for the players and coaches to sort of speak their piece. So um, that sounds like a good idea in theory. Um, For that to work, you sort of need players who are stepping up and saying they're leaders, which seems like if you had that, you wouldn't need a leadership committee in the first place because the problem would already (laughs) be solved. But again, Boylan's a new guy. They seem like they're trying to make it work. So uh, I'm wishing for the best. But uh, nothing a trip to Mexico City can't fix, right? Yeah. And Boylan kind of reminds me of that doctor with the bad bedside manner, the really good doctor that you – like a doctor <laughs> house. It's like, you know what, he'll save your life, and he's really good at what he does. But you just don't want to talk to him because he seems like an asshole. So it's kind of the <laughs> – Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to get you where you need, but he might not be too nice about it. Definitely yeah. that's Jim Boylan's M.O. right yeah, now. Yeah, definitely. But no, I hadn't. I actually had not heard about the leadership committee, but that that is pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but, again, I can almost see the need for it because if you look at this Bulls roster, every player that's on this team was, you know, maybe with the exception of Robin Lopez, every player on this team has been either a second or third fiddle elsewhere or they're a rookie. And Wendell Carter was definitely not the leader of that Duke team. You know, Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, they come over from Minnesota where they played behind Towns and Wiggins. You look at Markinum was a rookie. So he's probably not been much of a leader. Uh, and, you, and you got guys like, you know, Denzel Valentine, who was a leader at Michigan State, but he's coming off the bench. You know, Ryan uh, Archidiacono. 
you know, I just I don't see someone on this team saying, you know what, this is my team. I'm going to do this. It's almost like they know they need another player. I don't know if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get where you're coming from. And it's actually, you know, something you've heard multiple times from different players on the team talking about needing a vocal leader and how that has to sort of develop naturally. And, you know, Laurie Markinen who many felt was the best player, obviously, coming into the season for the team. He's just not that type of guy. You know, he's a very quiet kid, just sort of warmed up even talking to the media. So he's a great personality, and I'm sure he's a leader for the team within the locker room, but he's not necessarily going to be the most vocal guy. Uh, Chris Dunn and Bobby Portis both fit that mold, but obviously with the injuries, you know, they're not on the court, and you also need that guy to be someone who's sort of producing on the court. And so that's why, obviously, with the contract and production on the court, Zach Levine is the guy naturally you're looking at to be that leader. Now, again, there are no confirmed reports of what players were the leaders of this group that didn't want to practice and were thinking about sort of during the Muni, as people kept saying, and not showing up to practice. Uh, There was one report that there was a veteran player involved, which was you know, make you have your assumptions because obviously there was also the report that Robin Lopez and Laurie Markman were the two players trying to keep guys from, you know, not showing up and saying, guys, we need to go to practice. So, again, even though they're not maybe the most vocal, Laurie Markman and Robin Lopez, first of all, you know, you have to commend them for showing leadership right there just for at least trying to suggest, hey, guys, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but maybe not showing up to practice and maybe that's not the best idea to send the message we want to send. So, you know, that's leadership in a different way. But I do think, sort of to get back to what you put out there, Zach Levine is that guy who should be the leader of this team, but I think he's a big part of this disconnect with Jim Boylan, and that's why I'm not sure if you saw the follow-up reports that they personally had a one-on-one meeting. That was very mm-hmm. encouraging to me because if Levine and Boylan are on the same page, especially considering that, you know, Levine is a superstar of the new generation, Boylan is an old-school coach. If they get on the same page, Zach Levine is that guy who will say, guys, you know, we need to listen to coach. And I think he has enough respect in the locker room, especially with guys like Bobby and Krista, where everyone else sort of fall in line and get behind Zach Levine. Just to add on a quick additional point here that actually goes back to his play right now, something that's weird with Zach Levine is he's a very good shooter, as you talked about being a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, you know. Levine's a very good shooter, especially if you know physically. You're just looking at his jump shot, very pretty strokes there. Yeah. He's shooting 31% from the three-point line right now, which is awful, especially for a shooter of his caliber. Now, he's shooting over five threes a game, and like I said, 31%. So it's not like he's not getting the attempts of. The issue with Levine is especially for that stretch where we're without Laurie Markinen and Portis and Dunn, He's carrying a heavy offensive burden every night for a team that does not have really any shot creators. So he's trying to create shots for others, which he's not that good at right now, while also trying to focus on creating shots for himself, which is why he's turning the ball over a ton. And, again, his three-point percentage has dropped off. If you look at it month by month, he was really knocking down threes a little bit better earlier in the year, and now just from tired legs, I would assume, is all the way down to 31%. So I would be able to understand Levine being upset with Jim Boylan having, you know, practices on days off and in between back-to-backs and having two-and-a-half-hour practices with lots of conditioning. You know, that is easy to see how it can be frustrating if you're a guy who feels like you're lifting a team where you're the only guy night in, night out who can score, and then your coach is also, you know, getting on your case and 
and making you, again, you know, run win sprints when you feel like you just played 41 minutes and scored 40 points. But this goes back to what people are going to point to is that, you know, Levine and the other players, you know, there's a lot of pressure on them, but Levine specifically, once you sign that contract, those are the type of expectations that are levied upon you. You know, people are expecting you to play defense and go out there and get 30 points, and even though obviously you're going to be very tired, <laughs> that's just the way it is, and you show up to practice the next day, and it's part of being a superstar in the NBA. So, again, Levine has to meet Coach halfway, and Coach has to meet Levine halfway, and I think we yeah. we saw that start to happen with their one-on-one meeting, and hopefully for the rest of the season we'll sort of see them uh, in step. Yeah, and you look at his – through the first 20 games of the season, Levine's uh, – three-point percentage he shot there was one game he shot 71 percent one game he shot 50 percent a couple games where he shot 40 but everything else was under um was under 35 percent shooting from three uh until we got into the net from 21 to 28 on those games he shot 38 percent then 33 percent uh then he actually didn't shoot a three at all in the game against detroit but then he, we just to break this down a little further, he shot 40%, then 33% again, 40 again. But then the big 0-for-1 night when he they played Boston, um, which was a rough night for Levine. He actually finished, I believe, yeah. at minus 56 in the plus-minus, which is a terrible, terrible percentage. But And then the last game against, uh, against the Kings, finished minus 19, but he did shoot um, 60% from three. So... Maybe about the middle part of the, of the year there, he was kind of struggling. From games 10 through 20, he really struggled. But it seems like yeah, the percentage will you, creep back up. Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, 60% he shot three for five from the three-point line, and then that lost to the Kings on Monday there. That was actually something I brought up in a piece I did today for uh, NBC Sports Chicago, talking about how Chris Dunn has the potential to sort of bring the best out of Zach Levine. And the reason I said that is, you know, Chris Dunn himself has a lot to work on in his offensive game. But the things he are good at, or the things he is good at right now, excuse me, is, you know, he can have a decent usage rate uh, for this team because, again, he can execute out of the pick and roll and hit the mid-range jumper. And he's very adept at getting all the way to the basket, though he needs to work on his finishing. So my point being, Chris Dunn, you know, just being on the floor and, you know, playing in the flow of the offense, he can take a few possessions out of Zach Levine's hands, which sort of eliminates some of those turnovers Levine is getting. Uh, again, against Sacramento, he still racked up six turnovers, which just shows you Levine has to work on that. But I think Chris Dunn will help just having another ball handler on the floor. And uh, something I mentioned in that article I wrote is that in the two games that Chris Dunn played this year, you have the game uh, against Sacramento, where, as you mentioned, Levine had 19 points on 53% shooting. The other game Chris Dunn played in this year was against Dallas early in the season. And in that game, Zach Levine had 34 points on 73% shooting. Uh, He was a ridiculous 11 of 15 from the floor and 5 of 7 from the three-point line. So, again, it's an extremely small sample size because we have only two games. But so far this year, every time Chris Dunn's been on the floor, Zach Levine has been absolutely lights out from the field and has been incredibly efficient. So if that keeps all of he needs to do again is just cutting down those turnovers, and you have the makings of a player who would have the profile of an all-star strictly from an offensive standpoint. Obviously, we watch Levine, we watch the Bulls struggle. We know he, he probably has a ways to go before we can flat out, you know, say he's an all-star type player. 
But with the rate that he gets with the free throw line right now, like I said, if he really can just play under control, he can be that type of talent. And I think Chris Dunn is going to help him. Uh, you already mentioned it, but just to reiterate, that first month of the season uh, up in October, he was putting up 28 points a game uh, on 51% shooting. So that's yeah. obviously incredible. He's not going to maintain that for a full season, at least at this stage of his career. But my hope is that Chris Dunn being around can get him to sort of get that field goal percentage back up to the, you know, high high 40s, you know, low 50s rather than, you know, where it's at right now. Yeah, and he uh, the familiarity that those two have with each other where they're, they've played with each other. And, you know, Chris Dunn, I don't think Chris Dunn's played in a game without Zach Levine outside of that ACL injury. So uh, that familiarity helps. So they know each other. They've played with each other in two different cities. So all that, in turn, could probably lead Levine to turning his season around a little bit and getting the Bulls back to where they need to be. Yeah, and a big part of it is throughout their time in Minnesota and even that first year in Chicago, obviously, with Chris Dunn, having his share of injuries and Zach Levine having the abbreviated season coming back from the ACL, they've played together sort of sporadically but haven't really had a consistent string of minutes together and they haven't had consistent playing time together. So that's why this season is so huge for really Chris Dunn specifically with Levine sort of already being, you know, committed to this team at least for the near future. Um, They need to develop more of that chemistry. And specifically a big part of it is actually going to be Levine trusting Uh, Chris Dunn, because something I mentioned again in the article is that Zach Levine is actually, as you would expect, very good on catch-and-shoot three-pointers, but hasn't really had the opportunity to take many as he should because, again, with the Bulls, he's one of the few capable ball handlers, so he's not getting to take catch-and-shoot shots because he's taking a lot of three-pointers off the dribble. Now with Chris Dunn back, we should see a more Zach Levine, we should see a more active, excuse me, Zach Levine off the ball sort of cutting the open spaces in the defense to get catch-and-shoot three-point looks because the more he does to create offense without the ball in his hand, the you know the more you know efficient shots he'll get on a nightly basis. So that's the, the next step I really want to see in Levine's development is becoming sort of, you know, Clay Thompson-like when we're talking about running around off screens and really making the defense commit to you even when you don't have the ball because right now we see Levine – really draw a ton of attention when he has the ball in his hand and he's, you know, getting downhill with the head of steam off the pick and roll, he can, you know, get to the rim in a hurry. So he draws defensive attention. But the minute he can also start to draw defensive attention from moving around off the screens, that's when he becomes a player where, again, night in, night out, the defense is planning for him and the Bulls have an upper hand on offense so they're not just creating, you know, a bunch of inefficient jump shots, which is what we're seeing a lot this year, unfortunately. Yeah, well, Michael, thank you so much for jumping on with me, and I kept you way longer than I intended to. But you know, when we, when you and I get talking, it normally goes for a while. So, <laughs> but it's always, oh, no, yeah. always. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say it's always a pleasure. But yeah, what's all going on with the Bulls these days? It's actually kind of nice to have something to talk about. It is sort of sad that this is what it had to come to to give us a nice little story. But <laughs> oh yeah, but. You know what? It'll all work out in the end. It always does. Uh, I do want to know, or I do want our listeners to know where they can find you, and especially check out your latest article because I'm uh, I'm actually going to read through it here in a little bit. But uh, I do want our listeners uh, to know where they can find you at. 
Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, you know, follow me on Twitter at ZenMasterMike. Uh, Bulls Confidential, we're at BullsConf.com. But like I said, if you go to my Twitter, you'll find out the link there to Bulls Confidential where, you know, I have a piece about Jabari Parker and what's the best case scenario for him as a Chicago Bull. And we have lots of great stuff there. And then also NBC Sports Chicago, you can find my work. And I just did something there sort of summarizing what happened uh, with all the Bulls stuff over the weekend and then also talking about how Chris Dunn can sort of help Zach Levine uh, become the best version of himself as far as offensive efficiency. And uh, really, as we get closer and closer to the All-Star break, I'm definitely going to start to look more towards the NBA draft because the reason I'm so optimistic about this team is at the end of the day, uh, we are going to have a high draft pick likely coming. And if you nail that pick, really you got this rebuild sort of, you know, off to a good good place there. So um, I'm optimistic, cautiously optimistic. But, yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter at ZenMasterMike. And uh, I want to give a quick shout-out to Jeffrey Clark. He's our other editor at Bulls Confidential who's doing a great job right now. So definitely check out his work as well. But, yeah, always a pleasure to be on. Hopefully the next time I'm back on we can be talking about how the Bulls strung together a few victories and uh, why they look so good. So <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah, I'm looking – I'm looking forward to that, and hopefully, hey, maybe they'll sneak into the playoffs, you know. Not likely, but we're hoping. So, who knows? The season is young. There's a long way to go. But thanks again, Mike, and we'll hope to get you back on real soon. Appreciate it. Take it easy. Yep, you too. And that was my talk with Michael Walton of NBC Sports Chicago. We talk the Chicago Bulls. Tim, you still there, man? Of course I'm still here. And where That's else would you question. be, right? <laughs> well, before we, before we call it an evening and, and ride off into the sunset, as we would say, let's, uh, I, sent, I sent you over some pictures earlier of the um, – the new jerseys that the NBA has put out, the earned edition uniforms. Um, we've had a chance to take a look at them, and there are some that I really like. Some I think are absolutely just <laughs> uh, You're a braver man than me. Uh, most of these, I don't know. Um, I really like the they're either so plain that I'm not sure what the point is, like the Houston one. Yeah, the Houston one just looks – the Houston one looks like know, they're regular jerseys. The Houston one's I'm like, Houston okay. And it's red. Yeah, um, the Bucks The, the one OKC looks, one is pretty much straightforward. You know, it's that one looks like the jersey they had. The, the uh, OKC the jersey one, looks like the jersey they had. I don't like the Bucks yeah. one at all. The Bucks one looks like it fell out of European soccer. Yeah, I don't like it at all. Um, uh, the the, the Cleveland one, one the, the colors are gross. I like the Cleveland I one. I think that. it looks good. Oh, baby blue. I like hell. Um, um, what else the Philadelphia one looks about. The Philadelphia one looks the same, if you ask me. Yeah, it's like not it doesn't much look different. Any different. Uh, the Portland um, one is not much different, and the, the Raptors one just rip, doesn't. Why are they Rip City? They've always been called that. I honestly don't know. 
I wondered why. I, I don't know. So I was in care. I mean, in the north one, that one. I mean, I'm from Canada, and that just drives me crazy. Toronto's not very far north. Good Lord. Well, compared to most of the NBA, it is. Um, are they further north than, than Detroit? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but that's got to be close. Um, uh, mm, I, I don't know. It's got to be close. Uh, the one that really frosts me, though, is the New Orleans one. Because you don't like, like that one? Well, the reason I don't like it is because I'm having Denver Nuggets flashbacks. Um, if you remember, the old Denver Nuggets had the rainbow colors, and they don't quite have that many, but it's close. And I'm not quite sure what those colors have got to do with New Orleans. Uh, maybe they have something to do with it, and I just don't know. But uh, and that, come on, man, that Miami one is disgusting. You'd play. I love the Miami on one. That pink, I love oh, it. God. Looks like I, I'm just looking for uh, Don Johnson to appear from uh, Miami Vice. <laughs> I like it though. I, I love the Miami Vice jersey. You are, you sir, are a millennial. Sir. <laughs> I, like I think that, that about I sums that up. That that. Uh, I love well, the hey, you know, it's, all beauties in the eye of the beholder, man. If you love them, great. Uh, beauties in the eye. I, of was, I either found them ugly or very underwhelming. Like they didn't look like they now, did a whole lot with most of them. I do like the Boston one with the gold lettering and the green. I like that one. Uh, the Warriors one doesn't look any different than any of their other ones. Um, New Orleans, I didn't like that. It just looked like somebody didn't finish a rugby shirt. Like the Miami ones. Um, Sixers. Blazers and Toronto's kind of the same. Like they don't do anything for me. Yeah, they're, they're not drastically like they had a chance to really go to town and they yeah. didn't. Love the Wolves uh, one. You know, OKC, OKC, I'm kind of whatever with the Bucks. I don't like Houston, just too plain. I like the Cleveland ones. The Washington ones are about the same. The Jazz ones look the same. The Pacers ones are okay. The Spurs ones, I hate that camo looking no nah, i don't like those but yeah i didn't care I, for that one either much uh so i looked something up uh there are teams that are more north in the nba than the raptors <laughs> yeah that's that's what i thought so i just kind of uh, find that old the blazers, that old thing to be a little bit silly the blazers are more north and the timberwolves are more north too <laughs> than than the raptors yeah, because Toronto does kind of, and Detroit's damn close. Yeah, Detroit's I mean, close. Straight line. They're not. They're not far. I mean, because Toronto is kind of down in that little bit of Canada that kind of does jump down into the states there. Um, yeah, definitely. You don't definitely. know. So, yeah, but if you have yeah, a chance, check out the edition jerseys. They're pretty cool. Some of them. Some of them I'm kind of underwhelmed by, but you know you can't win them all. But I think Miami and Minnesota have the best jerseys in the league, so what do I know? But that's just me, at least in terms of the special edition jerseys. Now, I just wanted to throw one more thing out there before we wrap her up. Go ahead. Um, Apparently, uh, I I decided to be a little bit cheeky and post that uh, we had mentioned uh, Coach – we had an admirer of Coach Snyder, and I see that it has been seen by the said party – and liked. So there we go. Uh, she she, uh, she messaged me. She messaged me about it. We need, <laughs> uh, uh, no offense to her, 
We need more basketball fans like her. Ah, <laughs> uh, she's just a sweet saying. But... She looks like a very looks like a very nice lady. Uh, oh, she is. Know, she's great. Listens, but... to, listens to wide men, so I mean, what I mean, what more can be said about her? That exactly. Yeah, indeed. and if you listen to wide men who can't jump out there, thank you. Thank you to everyone that listens to us, and a big thanks to our sponsors, the law offices of Stephen P. New and WowFreeCam.com. We want to invite you to check out our new website, WideMenCan'tJump.com. Go over there. Where uh, I will Tim be posting a new article about the uh, unbelievable sexiness of Quinn Snyder. Oh, of course. The male but perspective. The, the male perspective. <laughs> the male perspective. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, go over there. There's a few articles up right now. Tim's got one called, uh, what was it, the Cranky Canadian Corner or something like that? <laughs> Cranky Canadian Corner. You betcha. You heard it here first. And I, I posted one about the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to be trying to get some more up now that my semester of school is over, so now I can get a few more articles up here and there. So go check so those out. Put- yeah, I got about another week of craziness, and then we're into the holiday season, and then you'll see a little more action over there. So, oh yeah, definitely. And uh, good news, good news. I'm going to tease it now. Next week, next week, he there will be a sighting. I have found Rom Tobinson, ladies and gentlemen. Tom <laughs> Robinson will be on the show next a man, week. A man more Not elusive hosting. than your mamba, the jungle savage. You're telling me, <laughs> but he he won't be uh he won't be hosting the show next week as Damn there right will be no be. the show next week will not be live uh it will be uh, put together ahead of time but it will be up normal time uh, we're gonna have to put everything together ahead of time because Nate has a busy schedule next week in West Virginia basketball so I'm gonna be all over the place next week uh, calling the action. So, but we will Rom have a show Tomlinson. for you next week for sure. So make sure yeah, you tune I'm in. Yeah, I'm excited about Rom Tobinson. Oh, I am too. We're going to talk all things Philadelphia 76ers, and we're going to find out what Tom's been up to, how's life treating him, and he'll be back, folks. Don't panic. Tom Robinson's still with us. He'll be back. It's just a busy time of year for his job. So we'll definitely should, keep you up to date with him, right. but he's going to make a, a run-in next week. And we should add, too, that we uh, – I don't know that we want to announce it quite yet, but we have hit – uh, significant milestones on yeah, our, we won't uh, with, put our, specifics with our, out there, with our but little pod here. Yeah, we want to thank everyone who downloads, listens to the show. We hit a big, big milestone the other day for the show. It told us a year ago we'd have hit this. We'd have probably laughed at you. But uh, here we are, uh, big numbers coming in, and they continue to go up. And thanks to everyone listening over in Africa in Togo which I didn't know was a country until the other day, but now we know Togo is listening to Wide Men Can't Jump. So thank you guys so much for everything. You can you can download our shows at widemencantjump.com. You can visit there and check out all the shows. You can download the shows from Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podcast Static Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, Pod Paradise, iHeartRadio, and anywhere you find podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Wide Jump. Follow me at MMITM Nathan. Tim's at Tileman68. Tom is at TR Shock. Go show us some love on Twitter. We've been getting a lot busier on Twitter, Twitter, on Twitter, on Twitter as of late. So go on there, show some love, and follow us there. We're tweeting something all the time. And Tim, you can finally retweet Tim now. We fixed his Twitter, so you can retweet Tim now. So everybody, go follow and, us. And I'm, I'm working on. Some, I should probably. Uh, I see uh, Rachel has already reposted in uh, the, the uh, Facebook page. Um, I might have to make a bowl game for Rachel. I don't know. 
Uh-oh. Look uh, out, Rachel. Yeah, I'm not sure where, where I can go with that, but I might have to make a bowl game first. <laughs> Just be careful. Um, Bobby. So apparently uh, Rachel, is now, <laughs> Rachel is now very doing a Wide Men Can't Jumps weekly fashion roundup. <laughs> and I have, to, I have to say, as a Canadian, that is fetching, let me tell you. Oh, yes. Uh, thanks, fetching, Rachel, go see it for yourself, people. <laughs> oh, God. But that's great, and we thank you guys for listening in. We hope we can get with you next week and enjoy the show next week. We'll have all kinds of stuff to talk about, and we will be back sooner rather than later. Tim, anything you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, you know what? I'm so exhausted after uh, the eternal struggle we had earlier tonight that I, I, I'm spent. Telling me. As am I, sir. So thanks, everyone, for listening in. We appreciate everybody. And once again, thanks to the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com and wowfreecam.com. Uh, Tim, you want to do the honors this week? Uh, I, can, I, I can do that. Peace from little T.R. World peace, that's what I want. Thanks for listening to this show on the Wide Men Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump. You can download this and any other episode from our network at iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pod Paradise, Google Play, Player FM, and anywhere you find your favorite podcast. This show has been brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, facebook.com slash makeupkennedy, and wowfreecam.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at WideJump. You can follow us on Instagram at WideMenCan'tJump and on Facebook at facebook.com slash WideMenCan'tJump. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Also, rate the show and tell us how we did. If you love us, please give us a five-star rating. Again, thanks for listening to this episode on the Wide Men Radio Network. Tune in, same time, same place. For the Wide Men Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com slash wide men can't jump.